So we we spent like pretty much the whole uh, uh, beginning of the week together, and and it started. We had we had a wonderful dinner on uh, Monday night with our fr- friend, uh, mutual friend Michael Lop. Uh, <laughs> Where where you two wanted to talk entirely about Destiny Two, but all I wanted to talk about is how is Apple going to pronounce the <laughs> X in the name iPhone X? Because the name had leaked, right? The name had leaked, and 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 I, <laughs> we had one and only one reason why they might call it iPhone Ten, which was that we're ten years away from the original iPhone, and we came up with a list of like fifteen good reasons. <laughs> <laughs> why they would pronounce it iPhone right. X. And we just left the dinner like, well, that's a settled deal. <laughs> It'll be iPhone <laughs> X. And then sure. I stayed I stayed in the city, uh, could not get a hotel. It was bizarre that I could not get a hotel near Cupertino. Uh, so I just stayed in the city, and you swung by kindly and picked me up uh, the morning of the event, and, and we drove down. And, I said, and as we're driving from San Francisco to Cupertino, I said, you know what? I'm going to write that up. And right there in the in the front seat of Matthew's car, I wrote the article I, I headlined X Man, uh, explaining exactly and predicting you know only an hour before the event, hour two hours before the event, exactly why I thought they were going to call it iPhone X. <laughs> well, it turned and out you know I was I was there to be the voice of reason, and I just didn't speak up. <laughs> Honestly, I, I bought in though. I yeah. bought into your reasoning. No, we we, we were all convinced. I, I was yeah. the one who started dinner convinced, and and you and Michael were both well. I could see it both ways. And by the end of it, and and half of the reasons I came up with, I stole from you and Michael. <laughs> like it wasn't just even my reasons. Like, <laughs> right, right. I'll take the heat for it, but quite frankly, it should have been like yeah, a, crowdsourced. It should have been a three bylined <laughs> article. Me, you, and Michael Lop. <laughs> Eating prime rib, <laughs> deciding. It I mean, was I st- <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. Uh, now I'm hungry. Um, yeah, I still, I still am. Uh, I'm fine with it. You know, I'm fine with the the logic behind the the yeah. reasons. Um, but I think in the end, you. I told somebody this the other day about something different. Uh, it was something, some of the decision that Apple had made or was going to make or whatever. And I said, you know, in the end, there can be like lots of logical reasons why X or Y or Z that you know would be the choice that they would make, but. When it boils down to it, if you go back, like write up a scorecard of all the decisions they've ever made and uh, all of the things, you know, all of the, the pre-thinking that everybody put into, oh, what will they do? What will they do? In the end, they typically do the most absolutely the most obvious thing. Like yeah. The most obvious thing is the thing that they do yeah. because it they're working at such enormous scale. That's what makes sense typically, you know. So iPhone 10, just uh, yeah, the other one was iPhone 8. Why wouldn't we call this iPhone 10? You know, it's just like logical. So I, I will say this. I ran into Phil Schiller after the event, and the first thing he said to me was, hey, John, I'm sorry about the 10 thing. <laughs> <laughs> Which blew my mind because I literally published it like 90 minutes before the thing. So how could he possibly have been aware of it? Because you'd think he would be like in like concentration mode. <laughs> A little busy, you would think. <laughs> and he laughed and I laughed. And he and then all he said was, We spent a lot of time on the name. <laughs> and, that, that was... <laughs> and ended up back at one. <laughs> right. I think and I think you're exactly right. Wow. I feel like they probably did spend a lot of time and they ended up at the most obvious thing possible. Uh <laughs> yeah. So the well, other, yeah, it was pretty good. So yeah, you published it, and we go. We're so harried. I mean, you and I are harried, right? Right. Trying to find the place oh. and get in because it's brand new. We're we're running into a blo- a literal blockade because they have blocked an entire street right. off, and I got a rash of 
of crap from Apple people about using Waze instead of Apple Maps because they said that Apple Maps would have directed me appropriately. This, this is too good of a story. So so we're we're we've plugged the address in, and you and I both, you know, when you get an invitation to one of these events, somebody in Apple PR emails you. Um, you know, mm-hmm. there's somebody who's who's like your point person and your hey, if you have any questions, contact me person. And it varies by event, but that way everybody's taken care of. And and there's ton. I don't know how many people there are in Apple PR, but there's it's it, you know a pretty large group. Um, and, and you and I both had emails that that seemed to imply an unusual amount of familiarity. It was just like, hey, we'll see you there. Uh, you've <laughs> right. got briefings uh, <laughs> the next day after the event or, or after the event at at you know eleven fifteen, and we'll meet you at the cafe. <laughs> And it's like, well, the, oh, yeah. where's right. the cafe? Oh, have, yes, the cafe. Got it. I have no idea. It, it just <laughs> implied an unusual amount of familiarity with a campus that we obviously have no familiarity with. But they did give us a street right. address. And, and you plugged it in to, to Waze, and, and we're going there. And, and like you said, we literally they had the, the street closed. Uh, mm-hmm. And it was obvious that it was Apple people. Who had closed it? They're they're there manning it, and, yeah. and we're looking it was at a them. Mixture of people, but some of them were definitely wearing that like white shirt, black right. pant, right. Apple security, right. traffic control and uniform. It, and yeah. we we from within the car, we gave like a hey, where do we do? And and a, there was a woman who gave us sort of a you can either go <laughs> left or right, and so we made a right. And next thing yeah. you know, we're like it was like it was the wily coyote thing, like you know, the two arms crossed pointing either direction, you know, right. or like Alice in Wonderland, right, the right. Chester Cat. You can go this way. <laughs> so, so we made a choice, <laughs> and we ended up behind. It, it was not the main building. It was it's it's some of these peripheral buildings that it's obviously part right, of the new campus. The obviously new construction, and the ones we were behind were obviously unfinished. It was these mm-hmm. buildings that were unfinished. There was a garage back there, but it, the, we were a hundred percent certain that this is not where we were supposed to go. And so we both made like yeah. some text, placed some text, like to to PR people, like, "Hey, what are we supposed to do?" <laughs> so we we got a call from Apple PR, and 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 they were like, "You got to go around the block." And they were like, "Are you? What are you using? Google Maps?" And I thought it was a joke from <laughs> Apple. Like I, I thought it was like, "Oh, that's just the type of joke Apple." Like, Aha! Yeah, what are you using? Google Maps? Get 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 real. Yeah, but the truth is that Apple had seeded, uh, I, I guess, in some way, Apple Maps with where if you plugged the address of that they gave us in, it was like ten six hundred Tantal Drive, it would give you the exact mm-hmm. right directions to get there. And Google Maps literally read you, led you right into the the, the blockade. So it really was the, the truth. Bear, yeah, and and it kind of reveals the thinking at Apple, where where uh, they're so on. You know, the they, they it just didn't even occur to them that people wouldn't be using Apple Maps. <laughs> Right, right. Like, why are you lost? Obviously, you're using our first party mapping application we spent billions of dollars to develop. And that I we, mean, why wouldn't you? Right. And that we literally spent time before the event, like routing people around it. Because you and I went, you and yeah. I went back the next day. And the next day, even Apple Maps led us that way. Like, they, they literally, right. it's seemingly on, on the day of the event, they changed Apple Maps driving directions to get you around the street blockade that yep. they set up for to one day. To make sure day. everybody ended up on the right side of the blockade 
grade to get directions and park appropriately and all that, which was fine. We right. literally had to go around Apple Park. We drove around the perimeter of right. Apple Park right. and ended up in the right spot. But it was just one of those things where you go, oh, yeah, they make the map. They can just make the map point wherever right. they want. Right. So literally instead of <laughs> like sending us those explicit directions in the email, they just presumed that we'd be using Apple Maps and they just put it into Apple Maps, <laughs> which I found incredibly <laughs> amusing. Yeah, and then it and and I just got I just got uh, razzed by it the entire day because apparently they shared the information with everybody. Right. The person I texted shared it with the whole PR team, and everybody was very aware that I was using a Google product to try and navigate my way to Apple Park. Right. Every single every single person at Apple PR who came up to you the rest of the day was like, "What's wrong with you? Why do you use Google Maps?" <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure we're right up the chain. Right, their their back channel must be is is quite uh, efficient. Right. Uh, yep. All right. So good times. We, we do get there, and uh, it's effectively what they where they wanted us to park was at the new visitor center, and the visitor center is across the st- a street from the 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 block where the main building is, the ring. And mm-hmm. uh, the Steve Jobs Theater is also across that same street, but it is wholly separate. I mean, it, it's quite a quite a distance from the main building. So yeah, the the uh, Steve Jobs Theater is inside the fence of the compound, right? You know where Apple it's in Apple Park, right? If you want to call right. Apple Park the literal parkland that they built, and then the visitor center is across a small, you know, but street. You know that uh, yeah. that separates that park from ancillary buildings, right? Uh, so it, it it it's fundamentally a different layout than Infinite Loop was, where you know there's there's now a store at Infinite Loop. There was always a sort of a company store, but it wasn't really. It was different than the Apple Store, but now it's like a real Apple Store. Um, but the Apple at store, Apple Park, right? Mm-hmm. Well, no, but at the old campus at Infinite Loop, the oh st- right, the yes, store yes, is the literally in company store, right? Yeah, it's in and always was in one of the buildings. You know, like if you went to Infinite mm-hmm. Loop, the old campus, you wanted to see it, you you were there in a building. I mean, obviously, you know, you weren't. There's no back door of the store where you could go into a secure area. You know, it's only like you know from the sidewalk. It's like parking lot sidewalk now you're in the store but you were fundamentally in a building full of you know where there were apple employees above you secretly working on apple stuff whereas now the visitor center is (laughs) it's it's contained it's separated by an asphalt moat right from anywhere that work is being done right there is no chance of contamination (laughs) and and even with the i wonder if they'll close the other one i wonder if they'll close the other store I don't know. That's a very That's good question. I, I would guess that they will. Because this store is is nice. It's a broad, open layout with the right. tall glass walls, just like a, yeah. a new design Apple store. And the other one is not. You know, right. I mean, they kind of updated it recently, but not. It's not crazy update. Yeah, I think that they probably will, right? Uh, but maybe they'll keep them both open for a bit. But I, I would guess that they'll yeah. close the other one and 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 sort of. Uh, it's a good question because they're obviously uh, infinite loop is staying occupied. They need all of the off, Mm -hmm. you know, they need all of the space. Uh, yeah, they're already full. Yeah. You know, they're not moving from infinite loop to Apple park. They're just sort of like, un. you know, they're, they're like bulged into their current office space and they're just sort of like, Mm -hmm. you know, let out the excess up on desks and stuff. Yeah. 
I would guess that they will close the store at Infinite Loop. I don't know though. It's a good question. Um, it it's definitely and and even with the press too. So it's it's a just the random riffraff who want to pay homage and come to Apple's headquarters and buy some T-shirts. Uh, you are not really in the real building now it is an entirely mm -hmm. self-contained building like you said across an asphalt moat and even the theater even the press are no longer like <laughs> in the compound <laughs> like right we, you can't complain about the theater that we can talk about it in detail the theater is exquisite yeah. and it is nice but it is absolutely positively not you know uh near the main building no it's a it's the Standing at the theater and looking towards the main building is the equivalent of looking across probably a football field's worth of grass and rolling hills. I would say even just seed, freshly seeded grasses. I would yeah, say probably a couple of football fields, right? Yeah, I think it's like a par four. Yeah, it's it's at least like <laughs> right three or four hundred yards. Right, uh, right. it is. It is, and it's still massive at that distance, yeah. which says something about the scale of the building. Yeah, and and it is true. Like the way that we drove in, where we had to, we got turned around at this blockade and had to go around. Effectively, what we had to do is drive all the way around the the Apple Park, all the way around, and and. It, 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 the Vantage, it, it, it's you know it's a big building. Everybody knows it's a big building, but it's it's really kind of stunning driving right by it just just how massive it is it, it really it's it's just it, it's it whether you like the way it looks or not it's truly magnificent in terms of just the, the scale of it right and i think we're used to seeing a lot of buildings that are vertical especially in the city yeah. right so you you're next to a big building in new york or you know even downtown san francisco or whatever and you look straight up and you're like wow look at that it's a skyscraper it's you know really tall i mean salesforce tower in san francisco is enormous and it dominates the skyline now um but this is a different kind of scale because it's so broad and massive it's just like a there's a lot of mass there it's very broad and something with the circular nature of it when you're up next to it, like when we're driving next to it and looking to our left at a point at which it was fairly close to the street, you know, because it kind of grazes the street in a, on a couple of dimensions. Yeah. And when you look that way, it curves away into the distance like it's heading towards the horizon. Right. You know, the the curve almost you know gives you a greater sense of, of size and scale than if it's a squared off corner you're like oh well, that's where it ends yeah you know? I, I, there's I, literally no end in sight i i don't know what to compare it to because i've never seen a building i've never seen anything like it i really haven't i've seen many it's towers kind of like epcot like when you get close to epcot maybe or something like that one of those types of buildings where it's a themed building that's built specifically to be massive i don't know it's know? just so it, it really seems almost it, it's so I've thought of this before, but now having seen it in perfect in person, it is it, it's so funny that the old campus was named Infinite Loop, which is a programming pun. But mm. it, my God, would Infinite Loop be a better a, a perfect name for that building? <laughs> right. It, it, it's a literal infinite loop. It, it, when you're looking at it at Street View, right up against it, it really seems as though it just is infinite. It. it, it you like you said it just goes off into the horizon it's like you can't even see where the it ends it's truly magnificent mm -hmm. um and that's as close as we got to the yeah. main building yeah. i mean that's as close as any anybody was able to get is outside the fence looking towards it you know the theater obviously quite a bit further away even so yeah. that's as close as we got to see it but it it was pretty big 
Yeah. Uh, in in recent years, and I do think it correlates directly. Uh, I'm like ninety nine percent sure it correlates directly to the Katie Cotton era and the Steve Dowling era of Apple PR, where in the Katie Cotton era, when when we had events at town hall at the old campus, you, you came in the front door and then you went out the front door <laughs> and that was, and that was it. So you, you got right. to, you got to park in the Apple parking lot and you got to walk on an Apple sidewalk and you came in a door and there was a lobby and, and you'd go in. And even if you had briefings or something that, you know, if you had meetings after the event that you, you were in the same building and you just went up the stairs. And then the only door that you could leave by was the one that put you back on the sidewalk back in the parking lot. And in the last, I don't know, three years or so, when they've had events at Town Hall, they've let us in the main entrance. Uh, I, I forget which building it is, but instead of going in the building where Town Hall is, they let us in a nicer building. And then you can walk through the courtyard in the middle of, of the campus. Uh, and and they'd have like some, some food and coffee outdoors. Uh, it was a nicer spread. And you, you felt like you were actually inside. But every step of the way, there were T-shirted Apple employees. Like it, it, it's like it, it did feel more uh, hospitable, but it was mm -hmm. also very clear that every step of the way, I mean, literally like every 10 feet, there was an Apple employee to make sure nobody wandered off. <laughs> right, right. Uh, even if, even though the buildings are access controlled, there's a first line of defense. Right. Just to make sure nobody even accidentally wanders off the path that was laid out for the outsiders to go from A to B. There will be none of that at the Apple Park. <laughs> <laughs> right. So uh, the, the line of people that in Apple Park that were there to do roughly the same thing you know keep people yeah. moving and make sure they didn't wander off into the literally the woods where nine thousand trees or whatever are planted uh but they were there and maybe every 10 to 15 feet and they were very aggressive about saying hello and yes. like hoping you had a good day and you know how are you enjoying everything but literally every single person <laughs> was doing it after a while it's a little bit like okay how, oh we're doing this again okay good um so i just started to go on the offense and i would just preemptively right before i crossed the threshold of attention i would say hey how are you <laughs> how are you doing and they were a little like thrown off their script because right, of, oh right. uh fine yeah <laughs> so I, just, I was like please leave me it's like a mace they're gonna mace them with kindness <laughs> uh so the steve jobs theater itself it is truly magnificent. It, it's it, I, I I don't have enough superlatives for at least it, aesthetically how pleasing a building it is, how striking it is. Uh, the, I I guess I knew this. I mean, there's renderings of it, but then you see it, and, and I, I realize that carbon fiber is is a lightweight material. That's what makes it so uh, interesting. And this is like the largest carbon fiber roof of any building in the world, apparently. Um, mm -hmm. But it, it, the lobby of the theater is is a circular pavilion, for lack of a better word, enclosed in glass with a carbon fiber roof. And, and there's literally no columns supporting the roof. It's, it's wholly supported by the glass walls. 
And and when you realize, I didn't really, it, it wasn't as striking when we got there in the morning because we got there around 8.30. It was like an hour and a half before the event and it was already jam-packed. Like, you know, there, there were hundreds of people who were already there. And when you're in a room filled with people and there was people, there were people outside it on the sidewalk because that's where they had the food and coffee. When you're surrounded by that many people, you see the people. And and it was only when we left in the afternoon after most of it was cleared out. And I, I took a really cool photo where there weren't even any people in, in the sight line of the, of the camera anymore. When it was mostly empty is really when it was striking like, holy hell, what is holding, mm-hmm. what is holding this? this roof up it it right it, it's architecturally it's and engineering wise it's it is a marvel yeah when you're standing in the building especially when you walk right in the doors and nobody's in there or come up the stairs and nobody's in there you know the feeling of openness and you know outside in obviously that was the was the whole point of it uh it's just it really is impactful and the only thing that obstructs your sightline in any direction because there are no physical supports beyond the glass itself is the elevator mm-hmm. and that's like that comes up out of the floor but right. even the stairwells are there's only like a slight wedge and then they just sink into the ground you know yeah. there's not like a big boxy like oh here here a stairwell begins you know they're cut into the ground so to speak so it's it's quite interesting yeah, somebody commenting on my photo said it looks like uh, the the lair of a Bond villain, and it's it's truly it truly does. I mean, it's and and, and the stairs really do. It was sort of like when I first got there, I was like, where the hell are the stairs? I, I didn't even I, I couldn't even tell where they were. It, it's sort of uh, it's freaky almost. I don't know. Yeah, and it's one of those buildings where, and I I like architecture a little bit and pay attention to it when I when I can, when I'm traveling. And it's one of those buildings that you look at and you go, you know what? Somebody's definitely going to use this in a movie, right? Mm-hmm. But but Apple's not the kind of company. They, they don't need right. people to use it in movies. So it probably will not get used in a movie. But it's one of those art, or those uh, pieces of architecture where you go, oh, wow, some site, some right. site uh, researcher would love this place. You know, yeah. they'd be like, oh, let, we could shoot a scene here. Right. And yeah, it could definitely like slot into a Bond film. Like, oh, this is the entrance to the lair. Yeah. Um, so, uh, we, we, you know, it gets the time, you know, the word spreads that they're letting people in, uh, it's time to go, uh, you descend the staircase, uh, the, the handrails to the staircase are literally carved out of the walls. It is, uh, it, it feels like it's carved out of stone. It's not stone. It's, it's some kind of artificial, I forget the name of it. I found out the name of it, but it's, it, it's the same surface that's like an expensive kitchen countertop service surface um but the the effect of having them carved out of the wall it feels like you're in that 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 temple at in the indiana jones in the last crusade you know that's carved into Mm -hmm. the mountain it it really feels like the theater is carved into the ground not that it, it is an underground theater but that it's carved out of you know a massive block of of marble or something that that was on the site mm-hmm. for millennia. It, it really is the effect that you get. Um, and, and it's it's funny. Like I've had a bunch of questions about the hidden hands-on area where people are like, they don't understand. They don't understand what we're saying when we say that there's this re- retractable door, but it doesn't look like something is hidden. It, it just looks like that's the way it's supposed to be when we went in. And then when the show was over and we went back, the, wall was gone 
and there's the hands-on area. But the be- the best expo- you know, expo- visual explanation I can think of is is Dan Fromer's photo essay at uh, at Recode. He had before and after shots that I think show it about as well as it can be shown. So I will put a link to the show notes in that. I linked to it from Daring Fireball earlier, but it it is quite a thing. Yeah, and that area that um you know display area that they had for the hands-on stuff is completely hidden and i think there were some architectural renderings or you know some plans or something at some point that uh or maybe even early shots that somebody had posted to the internet a few weeks ago and in those shots it makes it look like there's a wall that retracts away like a you know kind of a slightly curved wall that maybe retracts left or right or splits or whatever, and then you're led into a separate room um, for the demo area. And, there, and people were wondering out loud, how are they going to hide that area when you walk down the stairs and you come in? How are they going to make it so that you can't see what's in there um, as, as you walk into the theater? Because it literally shares the same space. You walk down the stairs and through the doors into – or through the opening into the theater, which is even further underground, uh, and – that area is right there. You know, you're boom, you walk into it. And so people were wondering how are they going to obscure it? And of course, once you come down the stairs, we came down and it was immediately obvious the way they obscure it is that it's an entire cylinder. Mm-hmm. So it's not just a wall, it's a cylinder that wraps all the way around the exhibition area, I think they call it, or exhibit area. Uh, and that exhibit area is completely closed off by a column of of metal paneling uh, that matches the paneling, of course, used above, uh, in, at least in its aesthetics. Right. And that's it. You walk by this huge metal cylinder and into the theater, but you get no glimpse of anything inside the cylinder when you walk by it. Right, because this cylindrical wall, you know, that it's, I don't know how you would just, you know, it's sort of like an... Uh, Escalator is a bad comparison, but that, you know, that there's, I don't know, five or six foot wide panels with, I guess, some kind of hinge between them, which is how it like rotates, you know. Um, But when it's hidden, you would, when when it's open and the exhibit area is open, you would never think that it's possible that there's a wall that could slide out and hide it. And when it's hidden, you would never think there's a room behind there. It just looks like this is like a big column that supports the lobby above us. Right, exactly, and it, like it was built, you know, built into the building and not yeah. meant to move at all. Yeah, it yeah. it looks right both ways, is what I'm trying to say. Um, all right, and we go into the theater itself, and the theater itself is is just fantastic. Every single thing about it, the seats are like plush leather. They are comfortable. There is a truly a generous amount of leg room between the rows. Um, all of the the back area, every seat has power. Uh, we sat a little bit closer, like at the back row of the front area, which was more like uh, like couch seating almost, right? It wasn't even like we had individual theater seats. It was sort of like like it it was more like a bench, but it was so spacious that it's more like sitting on a sofa. <laughs> it was kind of crazy comfortable. Which is the yeah, it was, it was, it felt a lot like a car seat. It really did. It did. It felt like a luxurious, uh, spacious bench seat of a luxury automobile. You yeah. know, one that you, one that you have a driver for. <laughs> yeah, and and they even had the armrests that that pop back into the seat. You know, so you can keep them all 
up and then there's more room for seating. But if you have room and there's nobody next to you, there was like a, a big plush automobile style armrest that you can <laughs> retract down from the seat. It was. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it's got uh, the little loop that you hook your finger through and pull yep. down just like a, a back car seat. Uh, I, I pulled it down, but no cup holders. So I'm, it, it definitely I'm, was a European car, not a not an American car. Uh, so the blueprints for all of this, I guess, have to be released publicly. I don't know to get approval. So like, I'm sure Apple, if they could have, would have, you know, kept everything even more secret. But the blueprints for mm-hmm. this were already out, and I had seen them. But I'm I'm particularly terrible, I think, at at looking at blueprints for a building and visualizing what it actually is like to be there. And when I saw the theater on blueprint, I thought, well, that looks like it has an unusually low ceiling. And I was like, well, I guess that's what happens when you build it underground, but that seems weird. But when you're in there, I mean, it, it, the ceiling is cavernous. It is, it's like being in a mm-hmm. cathedral. I, you know, my reading of the blueprint was obviously totally dipshit wrong. It, it's it, it, yeah. just a truly, truly cavernous space. The lowest point is when you're walking through the short tunnel or whatever you want to call it, the right. transition area from the exhibit area to the theater itself is – when I say low, it's like a 12-foot or whatever, you know, ceiling. Um, but that's the lowest point. And from there, you know, the the theater slopes down, way down in a, in a uh, amphitheater-style seating. So by the time you get to the bottom sections, the ceiling is quite high above you. Yeah. And I can't – remember off the top of my head but i almost i'm almost positive it's cut upwards as well yeah i think to so meet the top of the screen because yeah. you know they have projectors and all kinds of other stuff that they need to mount and so i'm sure it goes upwards on the ceiling as well as you go towards the screens yeah and uh i noticed that there's a, a lot less visual visually exposed uh like stage lighting like they know what kind of shows they're going to put on there. So they don't really need like like a lighting rig that could accommodate anything and everything. I, I don't know. Or, or else they just spent, I don't know. It seems like they hid a lot of the lighting stuff that you, when you look up in a theater nowadays that you see, because it's like, what else are you going to do? It's up there. It's just like instead, the, even, the, even the ceiling of the theater was, was cleaner and, and more... Um, it's just simpler than than any mm-hmm. theater I've seen before. Yeah, when you build it bespoke and you know exactly what it's going to be used for. I mean, theaters, remember, have to be multipurpose. They have to be music venues and in true theaters uh, to support different kinds of lighting rigs. And, you know, the, essentially something like a, a contact point, right? Uh, that's what these trusses are in the normal theater where you're like, hey, look, you've got 180 different possible contact points here that you can hang whatever you want from, you know, lights or strobes or or speakers or whatever. Uh, and then that's what, the, you know, the grips would come along and get all that set up. But the, in this theater, they know exactly, precisely what it's going to be used for. So they probably just put in exactly what they needed and no more, you know, yeah. and it probably allowed them to build it directly in rather than having a universal rigging. Yeah, I was kind of curious what going into it. I was kind of curious what the 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 screen would look like because they could do anything. It's their theater. They could make like a, some kind of wraparound screen, a curved screen that takes up the whole front of the stage. They could put three screens up there. You know, one on the left, one on the right, one in the middle. Uh, and and it, it, it again, like your your thing before, like your observation that all, usually they just do the simplest and most obvious thing possible is they just had one rectangular flat 
screen in the middle of the back of the stage, and it's just really, really fucking nice. <laughs> Right, like, well, yeah. What is the simplest yeah. and most obvious thing they could do? Just put a really nice fucking screen, rectangular, flat, right, right in the middle of the fucking stage, and it was yeah. magnificent. I, and the audio quality. I mean, we could, it was crazy, right? Yeah, it was very good. It was very good. I mean, like I've so I've listened to, I've seen movies. Um, you know, like they do this every once in a while, the Dolby Atmos will put on a presentation and say like, Hey, you know, we, we helped with the sound design on this movie, or we think this shows off our system really well. You can come look and check out our screening. There's some Dolby Atmos theater in San Francisco that people can go to. And that is obviously top shelf sound, you know, and it, I don't know if it was quite Atmos level because it doesn't need to be necessarily a home theater right. or theater type setup, but it was close. It was really crisp, really booming. And when they had the you know segments with music, like the commercials uh, and things like that, the ad spots that they had um, with obviously mostly music in those things, um, I definitely felt the rumble through my seat. It felt yeah. like there was some probably some subwoofers built in somewhere yeah. uh, under the seats. It was it was good. The Sonic aspect of it was really really solid i noticed that it was the first time since they've gone to high dynamic range displays where during the keynote they didn't have to say now we can't show you this because the screen yeah. can't show it and yeah. instead they could <laughs> they could show you <laughs> what it looks like with right. high, high dynamic range versus <laughs> right we're going to switch over to our hdr top <laughs> right. of the line uh projectors with 4k and right. all of the stuff and just show you it right here instead of going you'll just have to imagine you know that this yeah. looks better <laughs> I, yeah I, and that, that's that's I, pricey <laughs> i would i would i don't even want to tell you how much money i would pay to see star wars episode eight in that in that <laughs> theater like to get a center right. anywhere i don't care if i'm in the back row but anywhere near the center <laughs> in that theater was where i wanted <laughs> is where i would love to see star wars episode eight because it is the nicest theater i've ever seen in my life it is it's truly truly magnificent um, all right, let's take a break, and I'm going to thank our first sponsor, and then we can talk about what a shit show the hands-on area was. <laughs> uh, yes, let's. Uh, all right, our first sponsor is Eero, E-E-R-O. Now, Eero makes uh, Wi-Fi base stations, but they're not just like regular base stations. They create a mesh network in your house, and now they have their new second-generation hardware, and it's even better than before. But it works with the first-generation stuff if you already have it. Now, unlike other router companies, typically to get Wi-Fi that goes through your whole house, they just make like routers that are even bigger or have bigger antennas or something like that. And instead, what Eero do, does is create a mesh network where you get like the, like the basic kit comes with, I think, three. And you have one that's like your main one. You plug it in your your that's plug it into your cable modem or wherever it is that you get your internet. And then you plug the other ones in around your house and their app, which is awesome. It just put the Eero app on your, on your iPhone. Their app will even guide you and help you kind of strategize like where in your house you should put them, uh, to get like the best coverage throughout the house. Um, now the second generation hardware adds a third five gigahertz radio. And so now it's tri-band, and it's twice as fast as their first-generation hardware. And their first-generation hardware got rave reviews from everybody who used it. So it's even better now. But that third tri-band helps them keep, like, saturate your whole house, whether your house is, like, 
wide, like you've got like a lot of area to cover, or whether it's tall and it has a lot of floors. Uh, either way, Eero really helps saturate your home with really strong Wi-Fi signal. And the thing is, it's not like, oh, well, if you have three of these set up, now you've got three networks and you're switching networks or something like that. Like your devices, you just sign in to your network and, and like your phone or your MacBook or whatever it is that you're getting on the Wi-Fi with, it, it just connects to the nearest one automatically. Like Eero handles that. It's just one network with one password, but with three, four, however many of the space stations, you know, the little things you need. Uh, it, it, you don't have to worry about that. It just works. It's so super simple. And, and the hardware is really, really beautiful. It's so small, so simple, so elegant. It's not the sort of thing you, you're going to, you know, have to like figure out a way to hide or something like that. It looks great. And the new ones, the new little extra ones just plug into the socket. You don't even need like a cable and they even, you know, like a nightlight and they even have a nightlight underneath to like illuminate the floor underneath them, which if you don't want, you can simply turn off, but it could not be easier. Could not be less, uh, visually almost invisible. It's truly, truly a great product. I've, um, the whole reason that I can connect to Matthew right now is through an Eero. Uh, it's it's really a great thing that's that's made the Wi-Fi in my house so much better. Uh, so here's what you do: uh, go to eero.com, and if you remember this promo code, the talk show. That's the talk show. Use that use that at checkout. You will get free overnight shipping. Uh, it's so like right now you could just pause the show. Go to eero.com. Place your order. Use that code the talk show, and by tomorrow at this time, it'll ding dong. It'll be right there at your door with free overnight shipping. So my thanks to Eero. I recommend them wholeheartedly. I would recommend them even if they weren't a sponsor of the show. It's really, really one of the best products I've got in my house. So my thanks to them. Okay, hands on area after the show. <laughs> was... My kid, my kid loves to pull out the pull the... out my Eero from the wall. <laughs> pull it out of the wall because he can reach. <laughs> yeah, he can reach one of them. It's in the bathroom. And it has the nightlight on it, so he's always like, ah, and he yanks it out. And now part of my mesh goes down. <laughs> I'm like, dad, dang it. Like, I'll literally, my internet will get slower. I'm like, what happened? I'm All like, right. oh. Do you know what they <laughs> Sorry, are? They're I digress. A, but they're adorable little things. <laughs> you know, I can see why he's drawn to it, because it is sort of like, I don't know, it, it's sort of like the same industrial design as like Eve from Wally. You know, it's it's right. Just this sort of, and it's light up, you know, right, and he right. can reach it. All of the things, it's, it's got all the good things that he likes. It's light up, he can reach it. It comes apart. It's really nice to touch. Anyhow, yeah, yeah, exactly. Hands on, hands on. All so, right, so the yeah. hands on area. I linked to a picture Brad Ellis linked to where he observed that the the tables for the hands on area are concentric with the walls, the round walls of the atrium of that hands-on area, meaning that they have like the, the same center. Uh, and even the pads on the tables on which they laid out like the watches or the phones or whatever it is you were trying to get your hands on were concentric with the table. Like custom tables, the wood grain is perfectly aligned with the, the mm -hmm. radius of the table. The pads are custom made it truly was beautiful and i i would say it was at best half the size it needed to be to accommodate the number of people were there maybe maybe only one third of the size <laughs> like each table every single thing it doesn't matter like what was the least exciting product they announced probably maybe apple tv they didn't even have apple tv 
set up. There was no Apple no. TV in the hands-on area. So yeah, so, let's say let's say new watch bands, right? I right. know some people love those, and the right. fashion people certainly made a beeline. Like mm. I was near the watch band table at one point, and they were like, you know, yeah. you could tell they were right. the fashion people because they actually were dressed nice, right? But the um, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm just being honest. Right, right. <laughs> they got a bunch of bloggers in there and, you know, sweat, <laughs> sweatpants, basically. <laughs> um, but, yeah, they uh, they had them arranged around in a circle and even the the lower attention products, not the X or not the right. uh, new iPhones, but the bands. You could not even get there. It was four deep away from even being able to touch it for an hour or more I, after the, after I have the thing was over. I have vaguely not vaguely but I, I have complained about the scrum of hands-on areas for a while now and I realized that this is an incredibly privileged complaint and I still feel I, I feel so happy I, and I, I really am that I get invited to these events because 10, 15, 20, even 20 years ago, I, I always used to think like someday I would love to be somebody who writes about this stuff and gets invited to be at these Apple keynotes. I, I would like to be there and cover this. And it, it, 10 years into being somebody who who gets these invitations and goes there, I still appreciate it. And I, and I realize that that there's ton, thousands of people listening to us talk right now who in the back of their minds think, boy, that would be cool if I got to be there. And it really was cool mm -hmm. to be there. So file this complaint under – it's a privilege to be there, and I'm really – the overall experience was great, and the show was great, and everything was great. But the – you know, so I, I just keep that in mind when I complain about the hands-on area. But effectively, the, uh, uh, the effect of these hands-on areas it has been going downhill for a while because of the need for so many people from so many publications to get video of this stuff, which takes up so much physical space because you've got a camera person – and, a, a, you know, for lack of a better word, talent handling it and mm -hmm. trying to talk to them. And uh, there's so much more jostling. And it's it's been like one or two deep around the tables for events for a while now. But to say, like you said, that this was three or four deep, it really was. It, it This was like an entirely different level where it was like four people deep around the table where you, at least at previous events, it's like, okay, I'm not even going to get literally, they call it the hands-on area. I'm not actually, I may not actually get to touch these things with my hands, but I'll at least get, get to see them. You couldn't even get close enough to see this stuff it was really uh, and, and then the, the funny thing is then you'd run into apple people afterwards and they'd be like isn't the hands-on area beautiful isn't the hands-on area beautiful how about that hands-on area mm -hmm. and it's sort of like mm -hmm. well it is beautiful uh but from our perspective as uh, people who actually would like to get our <laughs> hands on these things it, <laughs> right it was, it's, it's the hands-on area is great at many things, one of those things is not actually allowing you to get your hands on. Right. It's like, like having that's the, it's it, the one it, thing it doesn't do well. It's like having an exquisitely beautiful, truly beautiful, put it in architectural, the cover of Architectural Digest magazine restaurant, and you can't get a table. <laughs> you know what right. I mean? It's like, well, it is beautiful, but I would or you actually. You invite everybody there, and you're yeah. just standing yeah. three deep behind other people eating. Yeah, and you, yeah, you're you're <laughs> invited to go. Even you even get an invite to go, but you 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 right. don't get any food. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and you know, look, I get. Uh, there's a combination of factors. So a while back, I think it was a couple of years, they started consolidating um, all of the other 
events worldwide into one event. Mm. So you know, this kind of coincides with the larger venues like yep. the Bill Graham and things like that. Yep. Um, and they basically, I don't, you remember, I'm sure that they used to have satellite events. So yes. they would have like the UK press would come to the Apple Store, Regent Street, or some other location and watch a live stream and then have a, their own hands-on area yep. um, and and so on and so forth. You know, at various permutations of that, it wasn't always exactly that way, but there were these satellite events for foreign. Well, when I say foreign, I mean press outside of the U.S. Um, and they would go there, and it, it made it so that a they couldn't fit anybody, everybody in the room in town hall, right? Right. Uh, and then also b they didn't have to travel, and they could just you know go locally, and and it would it would capture more press that way. So they started consolidating for logistics reasons, I think, and messaging and all of that, uh, and because they started, I think, seating more units. Remember, there was that big yep. surge in, in yep. increase in seating demo units and things like that. Um, well, I mean, fa- famously, let's just look at it. I mean, if we want to talk about the yeah. 10-year anniversary of the iPhone, the, the first iPhone mm-hmm. was seated to four people. Uh, Stephen Levy, right. who right. at the time was at Newsweek, David Pogue, who was at the Times, Walt Mossberg, who was then at the Wall Street Journal, and Ed Begg at USA Today, who's the only one who's still at mm-hmm. the same publication. Those were the only four yeah. people. I, in saw the- Ed, I saw Ed at the event. Yeah, he was walking around. Doing yeah. His thing. Uh, those were yeah. the only four people who were seated with the original iPhone. And I happen to know that each one of them had a personal engineer from the engineering team who was on call 24 hours a day. <laughs> Uh-huh. I know, I know somebody who was with one his of the soldering gun at the ready. <laughs> I know somebody who was one of those four people for one of those reviewers, and he said it was like the most nerve wracking experience of his life because it was more or less like, if anything goes wrong with that fucking iPhone, you better fucking fix it. <laughs> oh yeah, and, uh, and there's no manual, so good luck, yeah. no repair manual. Right, and, and all four reviews actually went off without a hitch, and they were all glowing. But still, that's a huge difference from. The, you know the yeah. number of people who get seated with review units today. right it's it's so you there you get a combination like a perfect storm of all of that that ends up the the end result of it is that you have a ton of people there and yeah. a ton of people all mashing into the demo spaces it doesn't matter whether it's at bill graham or yeah. or town hall or wherever you're still going to probably overload your demo space right that said that said they did Build this thing from scratch, right? Knowing exactly how many seats they have in the theater and exactly what they are going to experience in terms of volume, crowd volume, right? You know, and I, I look, I know that it's tough. I mean, I, I, I know, I know without a doubt personal experience that like they get calls from all these people who are like oh i need to get somebody extra in or can you fit one more in and all this stuff so i don't right. want to like i don't want to make it seem like they are the pr people are not doing their job they're trying to do their job which is get the most people possible to see these things get the word out etc and they they do they're usually unflappable very courteous all of that like very you know they they handle a lot of what i would really blow up at you know a lot of behavior yes so yeah. handle, uh, by by the guests by press and, <laughs> and other people and other guests uh but they handle a lot of that with aplomb right without naming so i want to give them props without naming any names we've both heard some interesting stories about yeah 
<laughs> the requests that certain publications put in or, or the... right right exactly so look i'm going to give them all of that you right. know what i mean but it would have been it seems like the it would have been an anticipated issue as far as the design of the space goes right. um that look hey these concentric rings because it's essentially a big ring that follows the ring of the steel walls which follows the ring of the stairwell and the ring of the so it's gorgeous and incredibly like beautiful empty Right. When you see the space without the units in it, you know, because that's the only time I could see the space empty because everybody obviously is gone at that point. It's gorgeous. And it would probably to somebody who had laid it out and was looking at it the day before going, I can't wait till everybody gets to come here and see this. It would have been, you know, they would have been ecstatic because of how gorgeous it is. Right. All of that. I I think I think it's logistically it was tough. I think it's, you know, they're. We, you, and I both had briefings scheduled after the event, and and the timing of which, and such that it was convenient. It wasn't like I was asking you a huge favor to to wait for me. You know, we both finished about the same time, so we could drive back to the city together. But by the time we were done, the hands-on area was taken down, so we couldn't. You know, like when we came mm-hmm. back from the briefing area, which was behind this thing, um, it wasn't like they were still out there, and we could then you know play with all the stuff it was gone but it, we could see what it looked like mostly empty we saw uh jaws was there doing a tv spot with somebody uh as we went up the stairs it looks beautiful it look when it's empty it is stunning <laughs> but i think right. it sort of it, it sort of speaks to you know the weak spot in johnny ive's design aesthetic which is that there are times where uh i mean and and to to go back to a steve jobs quote you know that design is how it works Right. Uh, that mm-hmm. so if design is what it looks like, it is truly is a magnificent exhibit area. But if design is how it works, it is actually a failure of an exhibit area because it was nowhere yeah. near, nowhere near enough capacity because this concentric idea, this idea that the tables, there'd be one sort of ring of tables laid out concentric with the walls is just not enough. It should have been laid out more like an Apple store with uh, rectangular benches with some space between them mm-hmm. like like an apple store yeah, like and I, layout. And I remember too that the uh the very nature of like a concentric ring means that you're going to squish people together who are on the inside mm-hmm. so you know it, it's actually tighter because you're walking into a ring of tables right and then there's a melee in there because some people are just in the center trying to get like there were yep. literally people doing hits in the right. center of it yep. so you have like abc or whatever sit up in the center of the ring doing hits cuz that way they have the backdrop of like the products and people behind them and the theater behind them uh and they were you know i mean that was that creates its own chaos and then in amongst that yeah you got all of the bloggers with the sticks and the you know doing the selfie style stuff and then you have the people with actual video people who are shooting over the shoulder and getting the hands-ons and all of that stuff so it's a mess you know and i don't know what the solution is but it, it definitely was um well impactful, the, i think to some people being able to get everything they needed the solution is to scrap the ring idea i mean let the you know the room is obviously already a circle but scrap the ring for the tables and do an apple store like rectangular layout and you'd get a lot more product on the floor uh we we spent you and i spent and and as i mingled you know we did wasn't like we were attached at the hip the whole time but it, it, most of the people i knew we spent our time outside that ring because the inside of the ring like you said was was it was almost like a mm-hmm. like it had gravity you know it was like once you were inside right. you just kind of got sucked in um yeah and at one point uh tim cook and johnny came out to do 
you know, some handshaking and photo ops and things yeah. like that, you know, because they always bring Tim out and yeah. Tim is like talks to some of the people at the tables and he shoots some video and all of that. And <laughs> of course, once that happens, the melee ensues, you know, everybody right. wants to get a selfie with Tim and say hi. And he's very gracious about all that stuff. But to just to get him into the ring, they had to have like five or six people around him like whatever yeah. you want to call them bodyguards or handlers or whatever Thugs. just to like get and say like yeah yeah well I, you know i hesitate to use the word because they weren't rude it's just like hey excuse me excuse me excuse me we're gonna get him in and everybody you know is like oh okay let me move or whatever i, I remember also looking trying at to them. get their picture they're, they're also trying to get their selfie you know they're they're dressed very casually like in polo shirts but i remember look i was looking at them and i was like uh, you guys are i bet they're all former navy seals <laughs> <laughs> no doubt in my mind. Well, all of, all of the guys driving the carts were former cops. Yeah, like all of the yeah. the people driving you driving the press up and down the pathways and stuff. No, so um, I I was yeah, doing yeah. I was doing a periscope. I was doing a periscope video outside the ring, showing a group of people going up the elevator. Now the elevator is for those of you who haven't been following the architecture of this place is sort of uh, notable insofar as when you come into it on the in the lobby. It's facing one way and then it opens in the back. And rather than put two doors in the elevator car, the elevator actually descends in a, a sort of helix-like thing so that it rotates 180 degrees as you descend and ascend. Uh, and the elevator shaft itself is, of course, made of glass. So you can see this from either upstairs or downstairs you can you can watch it as it as it goes so i'm shooting a, a periscope video of the elevator and that's actually where the door was where like as i'm shooting this elevator it was actually for those who were you know, like i don't know 600 people on my periscope they got quite a nice surprise where i'm telling them i'm shooting the elevator and then all of a sudden the door opens and tim cook johnny ive and laureen pal jobs <laughs> walk out of a door and right past me <laughs> people on the periscope are like holy fucking shit <laughs> <laughs> but that was interesting it was very interesting watching the people make space for them because it was it was not like it used to be mm -hmm. you know yeah and and when it used to be i remember very specifically like uh the yerba buena center they had that outdoor separate exhibit area you know mm -hmm. they in other cases, they may use for artwork or it's like a, they turn it into a gallery or another presentation space. But they used it for this exhibit space for the Apple event. And I remember, like, you know, Tim walking around and kind of standing there and, like, you know, Jim Dalrymple would talk to him or say hi or, you know, yeah. somebody would come up or a handler would be standing next to him telling him something. And then he would shoot a little little photo op thing. But it was just a, such a crush this time. It was I, just very, like, impossible. I, rem I remember back in, in the Steve Jobs era, you know, where – Jobs would wander around the hands-on area, and it was just mm -hmm. Jobs and Katie Cotton, and uh, yeah, and and Katie would, I, I they never, you know, it was at a, you know, they never stopped and talked to me, but I would watch them, and I could see what it was was, uh, Katie would in a in a low voice tell him exactly who he was about to meet because Katie had like the you know Jobs couldn't be bothered to remember who the fuck who was but Katie did yeah and so she would yeah. say you know uh, hey this is so and so from you know the Wall Street Journal or you know this is you know and then he'd come up and go hey how you doing you know what'd you think and that was that was always mm -hmm. and Tim does the, does the same thing but Steve Jobs's question whenever he'd be you know and and Katie would also help him make sure that he met you know the right people that he wasn't wasting time on you know 
people like me, mm-hmm. <laughs> that he talked to <laughs> right. David Bogan right. and, and talked to Ed, you know, <laughs> he didn't need to be reminded who Walt Mossberg is, for example, but yeah. he, his question yeah. was always, so what'd you think? And he'd want right. you know, and you could tell he wanted to know, what did you think? <laughs> yeah, but, but, exactly. But and it then was, it was getting filed away somewhere. It, it yeah. was literally, though, just Steve Jobs and Katie Cotton wandering around. And, and obviously, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, people noticed that Steve Jobs was walking around there. You know, it was not mm-hmm. like he wandered around unnoticed, but it was not like it, it, nobody had to part the Red Sea for him physically. Yeah. You know. I was at his. I was at the last event that he was at, and I do regret not just like saying hi because I was, you know, right next to him. But he seemed busy, and I don't know. At the time, I, you know, I'm trying to like juggle cameras right. and do my thing and right. all of that stuff. Uh, but I do regret not saying hi or whatever. But you, I felt like I could have. Yeah. Like I yes. could have just been like, "Hey, what's up?" And with this, it was just like, "Oh man, they, you know, they've got some some really." tough work on their hands to get him in there yep. let him talk to a couple of people who are looking at the table naturally like the people that are just organically next to him yep. uh, shoot a little over the shoulder stuff for ABC or whatever interview that he's they're doing B-roll for right. uh, and then they they got it they had to literally get him out after that they just said okay well let's get out because it was creating even more of a congestion issue yes. Johnny hung around and, and talked to stuff but I think uh, yeah. you know people, people were like talk, asking him what his watch was he was wearing and stuff like that yeah. and he hung out a little bit more but with him, it was just impossible, and it was a byproduct of the space. Did you, know, you notice what watch he was, was wearing? I'll bet, I'll bet he was wearing a ceramic. I think the ceramic is. I didn't. I would guess so, but I didn't. Right. I didn't. I wasn't close enough to see. Yeah, um, but yeah, I would guess so. I, I was talking to a, a, another guest that was there, um, a designer, and at the time we were just chatting it up, and then it, out of the blue, somebody's like taps me on the shoulder and is like, "Hey, could you just step aside for just a minute? Oh, just excuse us. Um, Johnny's gonna get a shot for Vogue." And so I had to step away, and he stood <laughs> next to the designer and right. got their quick Vogue shot. So in the shot in Vogue, I'm just out of frame <laughs> to the left. <laughs> You know, not asked to participate. <laughs> right. Um, and they get their shot. And then, uh, you know, then we continue our discussion. But right, I thought that was funny. You should have said then. Do you want to get one with all three of us then? <laughs> yeah. Oh, you good? Oh, all three. Oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What, what is he wearing? What are, what are they wearing? What are the stars wearing? Uh, the story mm. I heard was the last thing I last I think it's the last remark I have to make about the theater but uh, uh, when you go from the hands-on area and like you said there's sort of like a little low ceiling feels like a tunnel almost but like a little hallway between there and the actual theater itself there's there's a and, and it's all stone everything on the walls is just stone but then there's mm-hmm. uh, an engraved Steve Jobs theater above it um Mm-hmm. Typeset in Helvetica, which I found slightly odd that it's not San Francisco, um, but it is obviously not a mistake because the story I heard was that it was the third third version of it and that the first one was Johnny came down and looked at it and said, nope, <laughs> 50000 $50, $50, in stone etching, rip it out, put another one in. Second one came in, nope, <laughs> another fifty grand. <laughs> <laughs> throw it out and then the third one was put up and he was like that's it uh a kind of weird i do a little slightly weird to me that it's not san francisco because almost everything else mm-hmm. everywhere is all san francisco the software mm-hmm. the hardware uh all the signage on campus everything san francisco but the word steve jobs theater engraved into the thing are, are set in helvetica hmm. oh the other thing we should talk <laughs> talk about is the, the parking garage <laughs> 
I, I got to figure out how to put these. I'll try to put these in the show notes somehow. But it, we parked on level P1 of the visitor center parking garage. And there's... Uh, P2 the first day. Oh, P2 the first P2 day. The first oh, day. P1 yeah, was yeah. the second day, though. And that's the one where the mistake yeah. is, where there's there's two elevators. Right. And they're not next to each other. Yeah, yeah. so if anybody's listening to this, we're going to tell you exactly where Yeah. <laughs> uh, you could fix this issue. Uh, on level P1 of the visitor center parking garage, there's two elevators. The elevators are facing each other. They're not side by side. And and there's only, you know, as, as you might expect, there's two buttons, one to go up, one to go down. Um, <laughs> and the one that's correct, the, the up and down buttons are about six inches above uh, the one seam in the wall. And on the other one... Right, the, it's a two-tone wall, like two, a, two tones of concrete. Right. There's a groove that separates the lighter concrete from the darker concrete. Very nice, you know, it's a yeah. nice little concrete work there, yeah. And on the facing elevator, the up and down button panel is was obviously misplaced by the workmen, and it actually crosses... <laughs> crosses the seam between the concrete and as you pointed out there's even like like uh tape underneath right is it was it tape what was that yeah it's like like blue blue masking tape like right which, somebody just yanked it off right they had just finished but they couldn't get the rest of the tape off because the no button panel was <laughs> placed over the gap in the concrete it is so obviously wrong and to, and we we both couldn't stop laughing with the knowledge that it's proof that Johnny Ive has never stepped foot on level P1 of the visitor center parking garage <laughs> he has never seen this because if he saw this he would have ripped it out I really hope he does not I don't think I really would be surprised if he listens to the show but if he does he's gonna like pause it and go over there he's gonna be what the fuck are these guys talking about and then he's gonna go down there and see it and he's gonna lose his shit and you know, look, it's just you know, junk happens when you're when you're building an enormous, sprawling complex. Things are gonna slip through the cracks. It's just that they spend so much time building it, and you have a person whose reputation is like nothing but but like, look, this seam. Why the seam? You know, <laughs> uh, and then you look, and there's an elevator buttons like eight inches too low. And not only that, it wasn't that it was a blank wall, and you're like, are they? lower I, I need to break out my ruler right. it was a like there was a literal demarcation line right. that allowed you to see immediately that it was really really wrong and it's and it's directly facing one where it's exactly right 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 it's, it's like you just look left and right and it's like wrong right i think you, i think you did like the invitation of what johnny would do if you standing there like look left what the hell is going on here <laughs> Am I taking crazy pills? But like, I mean, that's I I grew up uh, finding stuff like that because my dad was that way. I mean, he's a fit and finish guy for a lot of years. He did like interior decorating and and uh, paint and plaster and and all of that stuff. And so for him, like, he'll walk into a room and instantly go like, "Oh, that wasn't cut in properly there." And you're mm. like, "Dang it! I thought I would, I was finished in this room, you know." <laughs> and I I inherited that that sure. thing. And so I was like, we got off that elevator. And I'm like, my the. I feel the disturbance in the in the detail force. Where what's going on here? But yeah, that was good times. That was oh, good stuff. Really good time. All right, let me take another break here, and then we'll talk about the actual products that were introduced at the event. But I want to tell you about our next sponsor, and it's our good friends at Backblaze. Backblaze offers unlimited native backup for Mac and PC. No credit card required to start. No risk, and you get a 15 day trial at Backblaze.com/slash Daring Fireball. Uh, here's the deal. You install Backblaze on your Mac, and it is great software. I'm not going to name names, but there's competitors that have these weird Java-based apps that are horrible. 
and bloated and take up tons of RAM and have terrible user interface backblaze is just a nice system preferences panel. Uh, their actual Mac software engineers used to work at Apple, so they totally know what it means to write truly native Mac software. And backblaze never, and I've been using it for years, never, ever, like, like you, I keep activity monitor running on my Mac all the time because I'm a nerd. And if I see those levels go up and I'm like, go over there and see what it is, what's what's making my CPU go too, too hard. It is never backblaze. Like it's not the sort of thing where you need to sit there and like, oh, I'm going to do something. I'm going to work right now. I better go turn, turn it off so that it doesn't do a backup. It's like, I have no idea when backblaze does these backups because it's silent and efficient and it just works. It, it, it's just truly invisible. And what it does is it backs up all of your stuff to their cloud backup service. Should it be your only backup? No way. I and, and they'll be the first ones to tell you that. You should have local backups. You should use Time Machine. I use uh, a product called SuperDuper, which creates a clone, a perfect clonable image of my startup disk. So if anything ever goes wrong with my startup disk, I am never more than like one day's data away from just plugging in the external drive and I can boot from it and there it is. But you should have backups offsite just in case something terrible happens. So maybe you get robbed, maybe there's like a fire, maybe the the pipe leaks in the ceiling above your office and soaks all of your computer equipment or something like that. There's all sorts of things that could go bad where you're going to be like, boy, I really wish I had an offsite backup. Well, Backblaze is the offsite backup that you should use. I use it. I would tell you to use it even if they didn't sponsor the show. Uh, just truly great. And here's the deal. You pay five bucks a month per Mac and it'll back up everything on your Mac and any external drives connected to your Mac. And that's that's the only limit. And you're like, well, wait, I, not me. I've got like this giant uh, movie collection on an external drive next to my Mac. Nope, no limits. If it's connected to your Mac, it all gets backed up. That's it. Five bucks a month. Uh, there, there's no catch. That's it. Uh, so go to backblaze.com slash daring fireball. They'll know you came from here. Uh, download the free demo and you got 15 days to try it out and see if everything I just told you is true. Uh, so my thanks to Backblaze for their continuing support of Daring Fireball and the talk show. Great, great service. Uh, if you're not signed up yet, there's something wrong with you. Uh, which which order, what order do you want to talk about the products? Do you want to talk to the order uh. Apple, Apple did them or do you want to go reverse because iPhone 10 is, is, the, is the hot shit? Mm, I don't know. Let's go, yeah, let's go reverse. Let's do what? Reverse? Let's go reverse. Okay. Yeah. iPhone 10. Because I figure if we run out of time, we can stop. Yeah. Yeah. Let's give short <laughs> shrift to, to retail. <laughs> uh, we'll just, it's one of those Apple events where they go, uh, a lot of great stuff happened, but we have too many things to talk about. So everything's going great. Okay. <laughs> Does it make sense? I don't know that it makes sense to talk about iPhone 10 separately from iPhone 8. Because no, I think we should talk about it both. Yeah, it, it's there's a lot of shared hardware and shared features and shared philosophies. I think for showmanship purposes, they introduced them separately and and did the one more thing and and you know and they're obviously priced separately. But at a at a basic level, it's it's almost impressive how much of the uh, internal. Uh, new stuff that's in iPhone 10 is also in iPhone 8. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, almost a everything. A A11 Bionic chip 
is uh, as far as we know at this point they're the same speed you know it's it and maybe there's i don't know maybe there's a megahertz difference i don't know or gigahertz i guess at this point but i i would almost be surprised if there were but uh, you know but the fact like the most impressive fact of the a11 bionic chip is that the new performance controller that apple has engineered now allows all six cores to run at the same time as opposed to previously and and which a lot of you know it's not unique to apple there's other android like the snapdragons that do this thing where there's high power high performance cores and low power low lower performance cores and it switched between them so when your iphone didn't really Mm -hmm. need you know like iphone your iphone 7 doesn't need a lot of cpu uh performance it'll use two low power cores and when it does need more mm-hmm. performance it switches to two high performance cores on the uh, the a11 bionic it, it and i can't emphasize what a breakthrough this is it's it's always using the low performance cores and when it needs more performance it adds the high performance cores and so it, it the the multi-core performance difference between these two is it, it, it's absolutely jaw-dropping and nothing like what you would expect in a 12-month year-over-year upgrade. And the iPhone 8s get them too. I, 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 yeah, they all get them. And the, and the performance controller too, it's more sophisticated even than just switching or adding because it can traffic control between all of them as far as I understand it from the presentation. It's that you can get, you can get any combination thereof, whereas the previous Fusion chip... It was they. It switched them off and on in pairs, like it's sort of. Yeah. It, it was sort of much less sophisticated. So basically, just a more sophisticated version of what they were doing before, but an enormously forward in terms of efficiency. Yeah. And like one of the big questions, I think, or big like kickbacks right away, everybody was like, "Oh well, it's getting some performance gains because uh, it it has it got to drop thirty two bit, right? Like it doesn't yeah. have to do thirty two bit. It can do only sixty four bit now." And I think that's true. But I don't think that that's, I don't think that should account in people's minds for much of the performance gain. It really is an enormous jump forward in processing power and, yeah. and efficiency. Yeah, there may be. That's an interesting question as to whether uh, part of this performance controller is the fact that it only has to do sixty-four bit. My understanding, though, is that the the dropping of thirty-two bit and the performance gains from that is really more that. Uh, it's not really. I, I could be wrong. It might there might be a, a performance controller, CPU level, silicon advantage to that. But mainly, it's mm-hmm. sort of a RAM um, issue mm-hmm. where where mm-hmm. supporting both means you have to have both versions of all the OS frameworks. And when a 32-bit app Loaded, launches yeah. on iOS 10, you have to load all of AppKit and whatever other blank kit frameworks. You know, insert you know camera kit, whatever. It, it, mm-hmm. you've, it, 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 in broad strokes, and, and I'm sure people who truly understand what's going on, they might roll their eyes. But in broad strokes, it's almost like you've got two versions of iOS running. You've got the 32-bit version and the 64-bit version. And and the context switching of that is, you know, it, it's just fairly significant. Whereas going 64-bit only, it just drops a whole level of that that you just don't even have to worry about. But you might be right. There might be something. Maybe it was just that it was easier to develop the, the, the performance controller if you only knew you had, you know, one set of frameworks and you never had to worry about this that, that sort of context switching. Yeah, and I think that there's there are going to be people who, who will try to dampen, um, which it's only right to do, dampen the amount of, like, over-the-top 
enthusiasm about this processor uh, by saying, well, you know, look, here are the caveats. Here are the things that may, uh, you know, they may be doing to get these performance numbers or whatever, because we've seen some of the Geekbench, public Geekbenches already, you know, coming from test devices uh, out there that are showing like MacBook Pro-like performance. Um, <laughs> My hat's off to the, the people in the hands-on area who managed to get to the App Store and down. I know. <laughs> because when you're using yeah, it, there... <laughs> there is somebody from Apple supervising you. I don't uh-huh. know. I don't, yeah. I'm not quite sure how that happened. Because Whoever what they was able how, to do that. Right. Yeah. How did they sign into the App Store? I'm not even sure if that's how these numbers I don't know. leaked. I, I, don't I don't know. know. If it was, yeah, I don't know if it was that. All I saw was a screenshot right, floating right. around the, inter, uh, right. the Twitters. And, um, you know, it was showing like a MacBook Pro-like performance coming out of that thing. And then, of course, there, there are people who are like, ah, well, you know, you got to take into account the sixty, uh, the 32-bit switch. You got to take into account this and that and the other thing. And I, I, like, I get all that, but I have two things to say about that. One, Apple did it. Right? right, like they, their silicon team did it. All of those things that you're saying, oh, they, uh, oh, they just dropped 32 bit. Oh, okay, but they had to drop 32 bit. They were literally the first time, first right. phone ever to use a 264 bit processor, and they spent three years building that, you know, and now it's paying off, right? Like, and they transitioned their file system, the 64 bit file system, without a hitch to like a billion devices, right. you know, like zero problems, like. Nobody. I never saw a single person say, oh, I upgraded to iOS 10. whatever, and my file system screwed up. No, not a single one. I mean, that's ridiculous, right? So they had to put in the work. Right. And then the second aspect of it is uh, what I feel is important to point out, even though it won't affect people in the near term, the A11 is putting up these numbers and performing this way on a battery-powered device. Like, can you imagine how powerful that thing actually is if it can put up right. a macbook pro like number all right on or a, a battery imagine imagine the performance your macbook pro your battery life performance your macbook pro would get if it had the iphone right. 8 battery right <laughs> if you took like the, imagine an iphone with a macbook size battery right it's exactly. like <laughs> That's how good your MacBook's battery life would be, you know? Right. So, look, everybody's always, like, just champing at the bits of know when Apple's going to switch over and put ARM, you know, CPUs into into MacBooks and all this stuff. And, you know, there a lot of people see the Touch ID and the Touch Bar as uh, testing the waters because that obviously has an ARM CPU in it um, or ARM part in it. But, I, you know, I don't know. I, I'm not a prognosticator in that regard, and there are tons of people that are much more smarter much more smarter, obviously. <laughs> much as smarter proof. than I am. Yeah, as proved. Uh, much smarter than I am about processor lifespan and like when that's the right thing for them to do. And I don't know system architecture on a low level to know are they ready to do that and all that, right? But just coming from a purely strategic standpoint in terms of what they're building there, they could probably switch now, right? Yes. Like they could probably switch very, very closely to now. Uh, and that's that's crazy, crazy impressive over the past three years, what they've done. And I'd like to point out that all of these really massive, fun, and, and you know, incredibly technical, obviously, improvements have been made on quote-unquote S years. You know, the, the years that most people were like, oh, God, you know. Who cares, right? It's like, well, <laughs> you should care because they're literally building the future of of your processing power right. in your laptop in front of your face, you know? 
I saw somebody at the, I, somebody I know at Apple who works on iPad, and they were at the event. And you know, a typical Apple person, they're not going to tell me anything. Uh, but all I said, all I said to him was, "Holy shit, the A11!" And he just smiled. <laughs> 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 so you bring this up. I wrote about this at Daring Fireball. I wrote about this that that you, you I, I retweeted that screenshot floating around with them because somebody I, somebody said I got like a I don't know a thousand goddamn likes on it, but somebody said, "Holy shit, this is like MacBook performance." And I retweeted it with a comment: "MacBook Pro performance, MacBook Pro, not MacBook." Like this blows the standard MacBook away. Right. Like right. like the the nicest regular MacBook that you can get the the CPU performance on your iPad eight. Not even if you if you just get the eight, the six hundred ninety nine dollar iPhone eight beats mm-hmm. the MacBook. It's MacBook Pro performance, and of course, out of the wood woodwork come the Android uh, fans, and, and they're like, "I thought uh, benchmarks don't matter." You know, I thought specs don't matter. <laughs> and nobody ever said this is why. Nobody is saying you should buy an iPhone because it performs uh, has great Geekbench benchmarks nobody is saying that but it this is unprecedented in the history of personal computing like it because in the old days there were times like it 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 sort of was like a tide coming in and out where every once in a while apple would make this breakthrough back before they switched to intel like uh when they first switched to power pc the Macs were power Macs when they first had came out they were arguably and and I, i think it's fair to say they 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 jumped ahead of um uh of the pc uh mm-hmm. and then very quickly intel passed them again and the power right. pc architecture sort of languished um uh and then there were times like the 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 power mac uh, g4 was it yeah the g4 sort of put them back in the game and then it quickly languished and then mm-hmm. it just never went anywhere. And so there were times when as an Apple user, as a Mac user, you were sort of you really were effectively making a conscious choice to use a platform that in terms of pure computing performance was behind the rest of the industry. Um and you know, I did so. I stuck with the Mac through all those years because I liked the software. I liked the design and you know, I I I but I was aware, I wasn't like in denial that dollar for dollar or just in terms of like what's the fastest performing computer I can buy is it as fast as the fastest performing PC? No, I knew it wasn't, but I was fine with that because mm-hmm. I like the platform. Mm-hmm. It's never right. been the case though that the people, you know, and in some broad sense, Android is the new Windows because it's the platform that, you know, is licensed and everybody uses it. It was never the case that Windows users had to, had to accept that Macs had blow away performance that blew them away. Uh, mm-hmm. But that is the case now and they're losing their minds over this. Like it, 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 there's a certain contingent of, of Android user who prefers the platform, which is totally reasonable. I, I, I get it. I don't like it as much, but I could see why some people might, uh, but who also want like the best performing hardware in the world and they can't have that. And it, 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 it's like causing cognitive dissonance in their minds. <laughs> I, that, that like one upsmanship is sort of where the specs discussion falls apart for me, right? I mean, it, and it, like you mentioned earlier, people are going like, "Oh, I thought the specs don't matter or whatever," but the effects of the specs do, right? The effects 
of what is being done there uh, matter. And that's what, what it's capable of. So you honestly, I don't even, I really wish people who are in Android that feel some sort of FOMO or whatever about the even the processing power, let's just say that, right? They're like, oh man, I want a phone that uses Android that has the most powerful processor in the world. And my question to them is why? Like, why do you want that most powerful processor or whatever? Is it just because, you know, holding your hand, you have that? And the answer for some people would be yes. Right. Like, they just want it. They they want to know. Like, it's, it's, honestly, it's the same reason I upgrade my GPU, like, habitually. Hmm. Right? Like, I want to know if I pull up my uh, Destiny 2 on a PC in October, it's going to run, like, 4K with all of the water droplets and, you know, body fluids and everything looking crisp. And that's fine. That's just, I do it consciously knowing that I'm, you know, probably spending money before I need to, to upgrade my GPU. And some people do the same thing with an Android phone. They're like, oh, and I got the the new hotness because it's the fastest in the world or whatever. And so now they are faced, as you said, with this dissonance problem where they're like, oh, I cannot get something that goes blow for blow in Android, you know, uh, goes blow for blow with an, an A11. But my question to them is like, why do you want that processor? And I think that that's the strength of iOS because it gives people that unified platform to build for and the ceiling of maximum power that they know they can target. Like they know the the rules of their world. And so when they go in there, they know they can cast a fireball or they know they can, you know, summon a a, a warlock or a, a dragon or whatever. They know exactly what they can do within the frameworks of that world that Apple has built for them. Whereas on Android, as a developer who wants to push the limits, your targets get narrower and narrower and narrower the more you want to push the platform. And so that's why I always ask people like, why? Why do you want a more powerful uh, processor on Android? Because guess what? All you're going to get is a handful of demo apps that can even take advantage of it. And those apps will probably not scale. Obviously, there are a few apps from major developers like games that may push it, right? And, And are built to push it. But by and large, if you're going into an an A11 powered iPhone like an iPhone 8 or an iPhone 10 you know that the apps getting built for that thing by the people that know how to do it are going to be pushing the boundaries of what that's capable of like you're going to within months you're going to be seeing what really truly what that thing is capable of and that doesn't happen on Android because it's not a a symbiotic relationship between the developer ecosystem and the actual hardware that you're using. It it, it really is as though like in the mobile era, it's as though imagine if like Microsoft and Intel had been one company and kept the chips to themselves and you know, right. it, right. it, 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 it's undeniable that Apple's chip team is better than Qualcomm's. And better than Samsung. Samsung has their own chips. I forget what they call them, but like in a weird, the, the weird way that there's literally like two different Galaxy S8s, one with a Snapdragon and one with the the custom Samsung chip. But the performance on the Samsung chip isn't really all that different than the Snapdragon. Like Apple is literally like two years, maybe even more ahead of of the industry, and and there's just no precedent for that in the PC side of things. And again, you you get this if you get the base model iPhone eight 
you know, like it's it's and again, this is not the main reason mm-hmm. to buy. You had a, a very good line in the car when we were driving where it's not the specs that matter. It's the effects that matter, meaning what 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 how does the user benefit from this? Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And, and but there are real effects, you know, like and one of them is battery life, where this faster performance means if you want to do this thing on your phone and the and the processor can do it without even breaking a sweat, it, it takes less of the battery life away and you get longer battery life. That's right. That's right. Yeah. It's like it's like, a, you know, you you got, uh, you know, Joe DiMaggio out there playing in your your neighborhood ballpark. Right. Like, is it going to be an effort for him to crush it out of the park? No, you know, it's he's going to be fine. And so that it does allow overhead is important, right? So just to give you an example, ARKit, um, one of the reasons that many developers are excited about it after they learn this fact, um, they're excited about it is that it uses almost none of the GPU. Right. I mean, almost none. I think it activates it and uses some bare minimum amount of it, but nearly all of the GPU is completely untouched by just firing up the ARKit framework. So all of the work that ARKit does for the developer in getting a point cloud and and plane detection and tracking and updating that tracking and et cetera, et cetera, it's all CPU-based. And the GPU is left completely alone because Apple knows that many of these developers will be building in Unity or in Unreal, mm-hmm. and they're going to need all of that GPU right. to, to perform those calculations, so to do those, to render those those scenes. Right. So ARKit, the, all that stuff is on the processor to do. And in order to do that efficiently and consistently, they need precise understanding of the capabilities of the processor incredibly good handling over the power utilization of that processor. And then of course, you know, a handling over the rest of the hardware, like the sensors and things and that, that kind of like, you know, blended efficiency only comes when you build the Silicon and then you build the framework. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that another good example of that, and again, Apple does like to put features in the new hardware that's exclusive to them. I, I I'm lacking a better word here. This sounds mean-spirited, but out of marketing spite, let's say, that, hey, you can only do this if you buy the new iPhone. Um, But I think that the new portrait mode lighting effects, it's not just spite of, hey, sorry, iPhone 7 Plus users, you you don't get this. It's only for iPhone 8 and iPhone 10. I don't think so. I think it actually has to do with the increased performance overhead because it's all rendered in real time when you do it, meaning portrait mode on the iPhone 8 Plus and on the iPhone 10 has this these lighting effects that you can do. And, and as Phil Schiller explained on stage, they're not filters. They truly are computationally simulating advanced lighting effects of like, you know, like it, it detects eyes and and simulates placing a light that would the way that a professional portrait photographer would place a light just to highlight your eyes. <laughs> mm-hmm. And right. it's not just after you snap the photo and then it goes and a, and a little spinner shows up and it like does it. It's it's all rendered in real time. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah. I, I think that's another example of it where the the hardware has a the the performance of these chips uh, truly has a, a, a an effect on the experience of using the device. In a way that people yeah, can appreciate. Even if it's not, yeah, even if it's not, I think some people would go <clears throat> like, "Hey, Apple doesn't ship stuff on purpose," and you know, I know, I know, people will pull examples out and and you know, wave them around if you ask. But um, in the terms of something like the portrait mode, I think that 
even if they could be supported, my gut tells me they could probably get it to run on like an iPhone right. 7 Plus, right? right. Um, but even if they could support it there, the experience might not be, you know, as flawless as they showed it on stage, where it's just like bing, bang, boom. And maybe the live preview wouldn't work, but afterwards it would work. Or maybe the processing time is just longer so that when you snap it, you get the spinny, right? Right. Where, you know, it on as you saw on stage, it's like bang, you know, you shoot the picture and that's it, right? There's no waiting around. It doesn't go to a splash screen. It doesn't say, okay, give me 10 minutes, check back, you know? Yeah. And and it's just, I think experience is sometimes why those decisions are made, um, even though they can support it or can ship it. And some people will cry foul, like, hey, I don't mind. Just, you know, give it to me. Uh, I think that sometimes it's a matter of that. Uh, sometimes it's a matter of resources and supporting it or whatever. But I guarantee you that, like, the best experience you're going to have is with the A11, because this stuff is cutting edge. And they built the silicon to support it. You know, they really they really said like, oh, hey, we could do this. OK, well, what do we need to get this done? And they went and asked their silicon teams to build it. You know, that's that's how it works. Uh, then uh, what else is new? So all of the new iPhones, including the iPhone 8, get a true tone display. And anybody who has an iPad Pro with a true tone display, uh, which heretofore was the only Apple product with true tone, uh, uh, I love True Tone. I cannot wait for it to. It's not quite as profound as going from non-retina to retina, but it is close. And the, the it, it just like with retina. Once you have one device that's retina, when you look at non-retina devices, you're like, oh my god, look at these big fat pixels. And it's like when you're have a True Tone device, and then you look at a non-True Tone device indoors with like incandescent lighting, you're like, why is everything so blue? Uh, Mm -hmm. it, you know, it is not an iPhone 10 only feature. It is iPhone 8 uh, and a serious, serious upgrade year over year. Uh, trying to think what else. It, yeah, True Tone's great. I love that. I love that thing. I mean, as somebody who is also hypersensitive to color temperatures, you know, it's it's been a huge, huge plus for me for with uh, iPads. So I'm really happy to to see that come to iPhone. Uh uh, it's 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 a in other words I, I and I think th there were so many people that I spoke to you know uh, uh, just other writers you know Jim Dalrymple and other people like if there were no iPhone 10 this year the iPhone 8s as are as they are exactly feature for feature and dollar for dollar what they cost what they do would be a a, a, a very solid year over year update. Yeah, it, I think you'd have to endure. Apple would have to endure that same wave of like, oh, is the iPhone boring, you know, stuff, right. but it would be fine. You know, like the people would buy them. People that needed an upgrade would get the upgrade. Um, you get nice, solid camera upgrades. You get a great new portrait lighting feature, which, you know, I think is a really, really cool application of computer vision. You get a lot of a lot of nice things. A, a very, if you don't use a case, a very different look with the glass packs. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, you, you, you yeah, the get... glass backs that that we saw. I mean, I really like the gold. Uh, I think it's really cool. It has like a sort of pink cast to it in the back, underneath the glass. I guess it's like coated on the back. It's a sort of like millennial pink type pink, um, very taupey <laughs> pink. Uh, I, but it's I, good. I like part, it. Part of the reason I wanted you to be on the show is that if you weren't the guest for this wrap up show, I was going to have to rip you off in so many ways because <laughs> so many things that you said <laughs> privately to me that I want to repeat. But like, I like <laughs> that they went from having two golds to having one gold. And like you described it as a, it's not rose gold, but it is a rosy gold. 
<laughs> right. And I think right. that is, I, I can't explain it. Like if you've only seen it in photos and you haven't seen it in person yet, it, it's, that's the best way to describe it. And I think it is a very, uh, again, I've, I probably shouldn't speak to fashion, but it's to me seems like from what I've seen, you know, in storefronts and stuff like that. It's it, the it, kind of gold that changes depending on what light you look at it in. Yeah. Like in it, the sunlight, it'll be very pink or whatever. And then like under fluorescence, it may look more straight gold, but it, I don't think it's, I don't think it's the death of rose gold. Like everybody thinks it is. No, no, but it, it's like a shift in what is the hot flavor of rose gold, you know? And, and the, yeah. the, the, the color of the glass is uh, a very, it just seems of the moment, you know, like, I don't mm-hmm. know that it's a timeless color, I, I think, but it's a very 2017, 2018 color. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I, I think yeah, it's, exactly. I think it, I think that's partly why so Which many is of the, fine. Like so, it should be a color of the time, you know? Yeah. Uh, I think rose gold as, as it was is over, you know, and it's, it's, and it's interesting to me that they've kind of narrowed in on one flavor of, of gold. It looks great. Yeah. Yeah. looks good. And the silver looks good. You know, the, you know, it's just all you gotta do is run, look over people's shoulders at the at the thing. You see that the glass, the glass back is definitely more uh, active. It feels like the backs of the aluminums did feel a little bit static. Yeah, I think that's the best way to put it. Put it. It's like it feels solid. It feels static, and some people like that. I get it. But like the reason I went with jet black with my iPhone Seven is because it felt more alive. Like you know, it's like sparkly and shiny, and you know, you get a lot of a lot of cool reflections, and just feels more. I don't know, more active to me. And I think that the glass backs on the eights just make them feel there's translucency there. Um, there's more going on, you yeah. know, and that may it'll encourage more people to use clear cases or no cases, yeah. Um, all of that stuff, yeah. Yeah, I wonder. You, if, you know, you mentioned you mentioned the thing. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Well, no, you keep going. You mentioned the thing. I just wanted to to loop back because you mentioned the thing about if the they had not released an iPhone X. I think this might be an interesting time time to talk about this, but um, I've been thinking about this. And I was gonna I was gonna write about it at some point, but I'll just I'll just say it here, and maybe I'll write about it. I don't know, but I really think that there's a lot of people with a lot of angst over the notch, right? Mm. And over the the screen not being full screen, and they see it as a betrayal, you know, of Apple's attention to detail, and that you know, I mean, quite literally, Steve Jobs would never have shipped this device or never agreed to let it be shipped because it's like, oh, find a way to get rid of the ears or whatever, um, or or heck, you know, they're just software wise just put black up there you right. know or whatever it is uh and i get it like i i get it i think honestly the value the arguments are valid i'm not out there carrying water for apple and saying oh you should love the horns and all of this right it is what it is you know but i think that it is it, while not creating excuses or any of that i'm just a person who likes to ask why right like why why would they release it like this why would they release it before they could figure out a way to eliminate those things if that's what you think that they were trying to do and couldn't do right um eliminate those little ears or 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 the notch or whatever you want to call it and the way i think about it i believe and i i have not verified this with anybody at apple this is not based on any inside information or any of that junk this is just me thinking it seems to me that the iphone x i'm going to Crib word from you talking about the AirPad charger, but the iPhone X is like a superset of the iPhone 8. In other words, it's like we got the iPhone 8 as a base. Now, what can we do 
to make sure that we are catching what we believe in our hearts to be the next wave of platform change. And right now, that's all about computer vision and augmented reality. Like computational, com you know, computer vision-based um, interfaces and and input mechanisms are are all anybody thinks about in tech right now. Even if they're that's not their space, they're like, hey, how will our business be affected by this shift if it happens? Because everybody's sort of like thinking it's going to happen. And if you're shifting to AR as an interface and the camera as an input mechanism and all of these things, if you look at Apple and Apple's thinking about these things and they they plan three years in advance. So three years ago, they were thinking about these things, right? When they started building out these, the system and this, get all the silicon ready for it and all that stuff and buying the companies, you know, in 2013, they started buying these companies and all of that. They're planning for all of this. If you look at it now versus 12 months from now, if the platform shift happens the way people think it happens over the next year, 12 months later would be too late. They right. needed to get out there now with a camera that shows off not only their ability, but also in, spurs people to think about it and developers to start developing for it where they have this true t true depth camera. They have all of these tools that allow people, you know, more precise accelerometers. Op the A11 is optimized for AR and for air applications and for computational photography and obviously core ML and all of that. All of these stuff is all adds up right to a perfect storm of we need to ship this now and plant our flag in this new platform generation now to pull ahead of our competitors or to, to push uh, forward in this way. Whereas like Google with Tango, they got to refactor significantly now and try to, you know, they launched obviously um, Core a AR Core and all of that. Uh, and which is fine, I hear, you know, it's not like crazy bad or anything. It's there. You took a lot of Tango and just cut out some stuff. Right. But they don't have a Tango device that's mass market. Right. They don't have a, you know, what, however many they're going to sell of these things, 100 million device Tango phone. They tried that and it didn't work. And so now Apple, I think, sees a lot of opportunities for them. They can get a device that has the depth camera out in the market at massive scale. They can plant a flag in computational photography. They can plant a flag in AR and depth sensing as an input mechanism and output mechanism. They've got a lot of positives here. So they go, why not now? Why can't we take all of the technology that we have and put it in this thing? And hell, if we're going to need this tab to put these cameras in, fuck it. You know, yeah. pardon my French, but it's just like we're going to do this because we feel it's the right time. It's a, still a great experience. We don't feel it compromises it. Now, you can argue that. And then, you know, that's what we're going to do. So that's the way I, I've been thinking about this. Like It's a superset of the iPhone 8 that they were able to launch now to plant a flag for this next generational shift in platforms. Um, I'm – you know, that was great. That was abs absolutely one of the great rants I've heard on a podcast in a long time. And I agree with every word of and it. And now here's why it's wrong. No, no, no. <laughs> I, I, I agree with it. And so I'm, I'm, you know, if, if I were at Apple and in a position to vote thumbs up or thumbs down on the hardware aspects of the notch, I mm -hmm. would, you know, for, for everything that you just said, I'm going to give it a reluctant thumbs up. Like, do I wish that they could... Mm -hmm have all the features and all of you know the dot projector and the camera and everything and somehow fit it behind the pixels of the display sure uh, mm -hmm. do i think that the i think the ideal form of the iphone 10 design would be a no you know the same thing with no notch that's the ideal form of right it. right and they yeah. can't do it 
And therefore, since we can't do it, what do we do? I think the notch is uh, reasonable because I think if you didn't have the notch, if you just had a forehead that was of mm -hmm. that thing, then you would have to have a corresponding chin because I yeah. think the symmetry matters. And I feel like the symmetry is maintained in portrait mode while you're holding the phone vertically. Uh, mm -hmm. Even with the notch, there is a certain symmetry to it. Uh, my problem with the notch, and I, I, I think I wrote this, uh, but effectively, it's not the notch itself in hardware. It's the way the notch is handled in software. And I'm even willing to go with the embrace the notch UI style, again, while you're holding the phone vertically. It's the fact that mm -hmm. when you hold it horizontally that they're going with this you can see it and you scroll it, it it's over there on the left all the time i think it's ridiculous i think that when you hold the phone sideways they should cover the notch with black and the thing that i find so surprising about it is that it's when they went to oled and oled has blacks that can hide it mm -hmm. you know and the best example right. of it right yeah is exactly. apple watch right like you can't except yeah. in extreme sunlight you can't see where the display ends and the bezel starts on Apple Watch. The black of the background right. of Apple Watch, except in the most extreme of sunlight, you, you just can't see it. And even in the extreme sunlight, it's sort of subtle. You have to kind of look for it. So they could mm -hmm. do it. Uh, and I think it's almost ridiculous that they don't. Right. And I don't, I don't, I am not the, I am not of the camp that I'm trying to say Apple loves the notch and are just a big fans of the right. notch and why can't you see why they're right i think that they would as you said eliminate the notch if they could i really i firmly believe that um i think that it's my my perspective on it is they felt that the notch was worth it given the what the trade-offs were what yep. they could accomplish and some people disagree and some people are like well they shouldn't ship it because apple's a company that thrives on detail and look at all of these caveats to this notch and blah 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 but i honestly think that like apple's guidelines like design guidelines if you look at those about you know making the notch work in your designs or whatever none of those guidelines are like the notch is the way of the future Right. right. They're like, here's how to make your apps work with the notch. Right. <laughs> it's less like plan for the notch to take over Apple's line of, of uh, hand computers. It's this is how you deal with the notch, plain and simple. And that, I think, speaks to me to be like, I don't maybe our next one won't have the notch. <laughs> in in <laughs> terms and, and maybe it will for another generation. But eventually that notch is going bye bye. And you know, in, in, terms, in terms of the keynote, I do kind of admire the keynotes embrace the notch uh, aspect. And compare and contrast, and, and I wrote this, but I think it's a very good comparison to the the camera bump on the iPhone. And I do think that the notch is is very analogous to the camera bump. It's the front-facing equivalent. It, it Ideally, you would want a phone like the iPhone's the iPhone SE and all the phones from the iPhone S and earlier where the camera is flush with the back and it, you don't feel it. It sits flat on a table and there is no bump. Uh, but I understand why the bump is there because a thinner phone everywhere except for the bump feels better in hand and thinner is, for lack of a better word, sexier on hardware. And yet the physics of photography mean that the uh, lenses need to be a certain distance from the sensor and bigger sensors require bigger lenses that are further away. You know, it's, 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 you know, it's in conflict. So I get it. 
And but the early pictures of there were promotional photos of the iPhone six that were, you know, a mini little controversy in our world where they had pictures of the phone from the side where you couldn't see the bump. And the question is, did Apple fake that? And if you know, if you sit here and hold it, you you can mm -hmm. hold it at a certain angle where sideways you can you can hide the bump. And I think that they were genuine photos that right. they didn't Photoshop. It's like the way I stand when I go on stage, like just right. a certain way. <laughs> right. It's just a certain way. So I look bitter. <laughs> uh you know, and that's what they did. But right. it, it, there's a certain argument to be made that that's actually, even if it's an, a genuine photo that wasn't photoshopped, it still is sort of disingenuous not to show the bump. And so they've Correct. gone the opposite way with the notch. And literally to the point where one of the things that had people almost like uh, apoplectic, you know, uh, was that they, sh in the Johnny Ive narrated video, design video, when they showed video playing, like somebody watching Wonder Woman, the notch was literally. Uh, over overhanging the content of the video. The video is filling every pixel of the display, including round corners. So it's cutting off the corners of the video and the notch was actually overlaid over the content of the video. And people were like, WTF, <laughs> including me. <laughs> and and the right. truth is, it's just like now where where you can switch between you double tap on a video and it you know even on an iPhone seven and it'll either fill the screen and cut off some of the video, or it'll preserve the perfect aspect ratio of the video and use black bars at the top or bottom as necessary to to do that. And it's the same way on the iPhone ten. And by default, it actually defaults to doing what I would strongly argue is the right thing, which is preserving the aspect ratio of the video. So it's actually, Apple actually went to the non-default in the, in the video just to not hide the notch, which I kind of admire. Right. Right. You got to give them sort of credit for that. Right. Like there's um, in there, some way <laughs> there's a certain integrity to it. I, I would say, <laughs> right, right, exactly. Yeah, uh, you know. So the camera bump thing, I, I think that there is a definite, as you said, there's a straight up allegory between those two. However, that camera bump is only going to get bigger over the yeah. next couple of years. I, I, so I it think makes me wonder how the notch will do. You know how yeah. soon. Yeah, it will go, or how soon it will find. They'll find a way to circumvent, and whatever that is. By the way, they're already working on it and have been <laughs> for like a year or two, right? right? Like whatever we're trying to like divine, they've already done it, you know, or already figured out how they're going to do it. And like the camera bump, you look at next year that camera, or I'm saying next year, right? I'm just pulling this out of my butt. I don't know when they're going to, you know, actually do it, but next year, whenever they decide to put a depth camera on the other side right. of the phone. Uh, that bump's got to get bigger, or or they got to rearrange the elements inside it to make room for the IR emitter and projector and all yeah. that jazz. Now it's it's less effective on that side of the phone, to be honest. It's pretty, it's much more effective when it's close. So they may be working on other systems for the yeah. other side of the phone. They may not be an exact mirror, you know, because right. IR is obviously much more efficient at close range. So you know, but whatever yeah. it is, it's gonna have to go in that bump. <laughs> you know, I do think I I I. I you know, again, I have no inside juice on this whatsoever. I, I and I could be totally wrong, but I again, I think you're right that it probably either won't be IR or if it is IR, it won't be quite as effective because IRs, you know, needs it's mostly there for your face and for portrait photos and for uh, uh, the face ID. Um, mm -hmm. But there might be something else that they can do to do a depth map uh, on the back, and and I do feel like that's part of how. Phone photography, meaning no matter how big that camera bump is going to get, 
in theory, it it has to be easy enough to still slip in your jeans, you know. So it's never going to be the size that, uh, and it's. I don't think it's mm-hmm. ever going to telescope out like some point and shoot cameras do, right? It's never the the camera lens is never yeah. going to be that big. Yeah. So it within the confines of the physics of a phone size camera system. Um, I feel like the way that that phone photography is going to continue to catch up and or pull ahead of true photo, you know, true camera cameras um, would be things like depth mapping combined with the the compute. It's computational photography, but it need. I think it there's room for additional sensors back there. In, in not not yeah, room exactly. physically, but it, room in in. In, in the system. Philosophically. Philosophically. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. 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 And because I think that there's definitely not uh, a scenario where you just take the exact same array and flip it around. And right. it, and it's really all that useful. Yeah. Um, but whatever it is, they're, they're definitely working on something there. And so that, so that bump's not going, not going bye-bye. One thing that only really occurred to me like yesterday thinking about this is that – this is the first time, to my memory, unless I'm missing a feature, this is the first time that there is something to the front-facing camera that is way better than the back camera. Like the, the you know, whatever you want to call it. I mean, let, uh, mm-hmm. this, I mean it, I'll just say it. I'll just say the word, selfie. <laughs> selfie camera <laughs> has always been... <laughs> you break out in hives. <laughs> well, if Schiller can say it, I can say it. Uh, I guess they, you know, they call it, what do they call it? The, the FaceTime camera. I think they still call it, but you know, they should call it the selfie camera, but the front facing camera has always been a, a, a subset and, and really a sort of severe subset of the back facing camera. It's always had smaller sensor and it's, you know, it's just not as good a camera. Um, uh, the depth stuff, the stuff that's in the notch, it, it, in some ways makes it better. It it actually is you know, uh, it it's a it's a it's a really interesting piece of technology, and the back camera doesn't have it. Kind of interesting. Yeah, that's true. I didn't think about that either. I, that that makes total sense. I mean, I I think that I, it's never leapfrogged. It has come right. on parity at some point. I think. Right. Like, and remember too that like you know. With the caveats that the lens elements are always different, you know, front versus back, because you need different field right. of view and all that. I think at some point it re- it reached sensor resolution parity yeah. or sensor parity, but then like they they always kind of go back and forth. But yeah, I think so. I think you're right. Um, definitely, the it speaks to the times and how people use their phones. You know, I mean the the rise of the selfie is not just about taking pictures of yourself. It's about how people communicate right. you know the snapchat generation and right. um you know people that are comfortable communicating either via video or or image uh in place of text it does definitely make sense to focus on that camera more and devote technology to it and of course face id you know all of that it's an amalgam right it's right. not like oh this is the reason um but yeah 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 definitely a good point uh, uh should we jump to talking about face ID? Is there anything else on, I mean, the... yeah, we can. I mean, uh, you had uh, Craig on your show already yep. had that, uh, which was and nice. You, you was cool. had an interview with him for TechCrunch. Uh, 
uh, which was yeah. also nice. And you, you covered like the privacy related aspects of it that I kind of slipped my mind. So that's kind of interesting. So I don't, I guess we don't have to spend a ton of time on Face ID because you've written about your interview, previous episode of the mm-hmm. show is me talking to Craig Federighi about it. And I, I don't think there's much left on the table but i you know i don't think we're more qualified to talk about it than craig <laughs> right do you know what really what blew me what blows me away about craig is uh, uh, that he clearly understands every single aspect of everything apple is doing at a tech technology level in the mm-hmm. sense of that great richard Feynman uh, uh axiom that the only way to prove if you truly understand something is if you can deliver a freshman uh, 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 essay or not essay, but what do you call it? A lecture about it. You know, can you explain well, it? Explain it to a five-year-old. Let's yeah. put it that way. Can you, if you can't <laughs> yeah. explain it in plain terms, then you don't truly understand yeah. something. And Craig That's excels right. at explaining how all of this stuff works, like differential privacy and and the, all mm-hmm. the complex ways that they're managing. Uh, it, it, so he understands everything they do and has time to manage <laughs> manage all these teams like right. it, it's like i i kind of get it that it it's useful for apple to have a senior executive who truly understands all of the technology the company's working on i get it but i can't believe that that individual is also somebody <laughs> who manages all of the software teams at the same time which right. you would you would think would be <laughs> take up you yeah. know 60 70 hours a week uh, yeah, and of, it's, uh, it reminds me of um, this uh, the anecdote, and I'd heard the anecdote before, but I heard it first person as well, um, uh, he, and uh, from a, a buddy that you know, uh, I think uh, works at works at ILM, uh, Todd Vaziri, who's mm. um, you know spoke. I think he's spoken about this on Twitter too a little bit, but he I guess he you know worked with James Cameron at one point um, on one of his shows and. You get you just get this vibe from from Cameron that he could do your job, or that at least he knows the fundamentals of your job, and you are in doubt as to whether or not he could do it better than you. Like, I mean, he may not, right? He may right. need to sit down right. and learn all your tools, or or whatever. But he understands the fundamentals of what you're doing and how to get the performance out of you that he wants. And you have this understanding that if he had the time and if it was in his you know schedule to do so that he might be able to sit down and do this thing that you're doing and that you want to impress him yeah. you know and that you can impress him because he knows how hard it is to do what you do you know or how how tough of a task he's giving you right because there's a difference between a manager like that and a manager that's like has no concept of how hard it is to build a system that you're building or to squash a bug that you're quashing and one who has been in the trenches and who knows it, or at least, you know, has an understanding of how hard it is. And you want to work harder for those people. You want to do better for those people because you know that they will appreciate it. And, you know, I've always thought, I've always kept that in my mind and I'm no, I'm no Jim Cameron, but I always try to make sure that I'm at least understanding the scope of the things that I'm asking people to do when I'm managing them, you know, and, and at least, and I personally always love it if I have actually tried to do it, you know, at, the, at least once. Um, and that, and whether that's like pull off a particular tone in a piece or whatever and in, in editorial, that's that. But in Craig's world, you get the feeling like if he's in there asking you to accomplish, 
you know, pulling something off like Face ID where it's like, oh, it takes three quarters of a second. And he's like, no, it should take a third of a second or whatever that you he knows what's needed to get there. And you want to impress him by getting you there. And so it's a different kind of vibe than a manager who who you think is really just there to to manage you as a as a cog. Yeah, there's uh, and Cameron is uh, uh, he's spoken. Uh, I've seen him speak about Stanley Kubrick. He's a huge Kubrick fan, and I think that same thing was true with Kubrick, where he 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 mastered all aspects of movie making. He could edit, he could shoot. He famously, you know, had the camera in his hand for tons of shots. Uh, mm-hmm. And I remember reading a story. I'm going to botch this a little bit because I'm doing it from memory, but. Um, one of Kubrick's early studio movies was a great, great heist movie called The Killing. Uh, I, I love all those movies, but if you like heist movies, you know, and but you're wary, you're like, uh, I don't like old movies, but this is so good, and it's so sort of yeah. pre- presages the Tarantino style. It's influenced of t- The Dark Knight too, like yeah. so much, you know, all of that. Yeah. But there's this great anecdote. Uh, you know, it, uh, uh, there's an early scene. Uh, or I don't forget when they put it because it is chopped up chronologically. But there's a movie, there's a scene where the they're they're planning the heist and it's in the one guy's apartment and it takes place in two rooms and there's a dolly shot where they're in one room and in one take the camera pans or, or dolly sideways to go from one room to another and it was one of the first shots they shot at least it was one of the first scenes that they shot and the thing and the cinematographer had this all set up and kubrick came in and like looked at it and it was like totally like lazy you know like the way that it was lit and mm-hmm. he's like no no and the guy was like well you you know it's gonna take forever to do it the other way and, and kubrick was just like fuck you and he like went and did it and just set up all the lights the right way and said move <laughs> and and just did the dolly shot himself and then like the cameraman was like oh shit this guy <laughs> this guy could do my job you know and so it's like i better right. up, i better up my game or i'm gonna get fired uh and right totally you know changed the way he came in to to every single scene he's like i better do the best that i can do and i think you're exactly right um I, what else is there to say about iphone 10 i mean it's what are well, the differences I mean, between the- iphone 10 and iphone 8 the screen so is obviously, obviously different. The depth camera. Depth yeah, camera. The screen is different. Um, the screen is is uh, OLED. You know, yeah. obviously that's a huge jump. One thing, and I don't know the answer to this, but one one thing a lot of people are talking about right now is whether that OLED is uh, pentile construction or RGB. Right. And they're leaning towards pentile because of the dithering at the corners that gives it that nice smooth curve. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a subpixel anti-aliasing, I guess, that's being used for that that curve, and. Uh, the question then is if it's pentile, because of the way the pentile screens are constructed, the apparent resolution may be actually less than the actual resolution. In other words, they're wondering if it's sharp or not, you know, mm-hmm. as sharp as the iPhone 8. I, have, I don't know because I've only seen it briefly, obviously, there right. at the event, um, whether, you know, how those screens compare. But um, that's an interesting thing that I want to look into. Uh, well, who knows? Who knows what that'll be, but I, that might be a minor controversy. Yeah, I suspect, though, that even if it is Pentile, and I have no idea, but even if it is, there are so many uh, uh, virtual pixels per inch or you know, what they claim to be the pixels per mm-hmm. inch, that even if it is Pentile, it still should be smoother, I think, than an iPhone 8. Whether it would be smoother right. than an 8 Plus, I don't know. But the 8 Plus has the weird thing where it's a, still a scaled-down interface. It still is is not really a true 3X. It's like you treat it as 3X, but they scale it to a certain degree, which decreases the actual sharpness of it to some degree. 
I don't know. I, and if yeah, I had an iPhone I, X is 3X too. So right. it, it's, it's going to be different. So even if it's yep. pentile though, I feel though that it should be at least as sharp as the 8 Plus. I don't know. I had about 10 minutes with it in my hand in the hands-on area. And mm-hmm. to my uh, not great eyes, but good enough, you know, uh, it looked very good. And I thought the color mm-hmm. was excellent, which is my big concern right. with all OLED screens. Uh, I thought the color was totally, it, it, you know, and I saw it side by side with an iPhone 8 and it, the color was just spot on, it, it, you know. So I don't know. I, I have no hesitation. I can't wait to spend more time with it, but I, I think it's a very nice display. Uh, uh, so the display's yeah, better. Yeah, got that. Oh, uh, the uh, both cameras are OIS now. On yeah, the back. Only on the 10, though. Which is nice. You know, only on the 10, right? But right. you were asking about differences. Right. And so that's one difference. The and, iPhone 8. And the telephoto, telephoto on the is 10. is stabilized. It, it, yeah. And on the 10, the, the telephoto lens is f2.4 as opposed to f2.8, mm-hmm. which, if you're not a photography nerd, just means that it's one entire stop better in low light. It's uh, they're about like thirty six percent, I guess, is the number that they cited. Um, so the gains are not, you know, it's not not unnoticeable. Thirty six percent is a bunch. So when you're shooting in low light with that telephoto lens, like let's say at a concert, you know, right. trying to zoom into the stage, right. that it might it might default to that telephoto or use more of that telephoto data because it'll be a little bit sharper. Yeah, um, won't be won't be jittery as much, and, and I, yeah. especially with the OIS too. Right. Uh, yeah. So it's a it, it's with even uh, OIS aside, it's a full stop faster, and you have OIS, and OIS should add at least mm-hmm. another stop. So you it get you should get at least two stops, which is pretty significant. Maybe more, depending on you know how good the OIS is. But that's that the camera is definitely better. Um, I think that from the time I spent with it, it's it's even more of an embrace the camera bump industrial design. Like the bump is truly. Yes, it's got a straight like it comes straight out from the body instead yeah. of having any hint of a bezel. Yeah, because like the or uh, a, a I guess I would say call it a slope, right? Yeah, because it's not it's a slope with an additional camphor on top of it, but the or chamfer I never know which one it is. Um, but this on the eight, it's straight up out of the body, out of the glass back. It's like bang, you know, yeah. like here it is. Yeah. Uh trying to think what else i even just in 10 minutes you could and and it was nice because in a hands-on area you could pick both up side by side it it it, there's a it's heavier it's heavier than like an iphone 8 i don't know if it's as heavy as the plus but the plus feels so much bigger in hand because it's so much wider uh but just the i think it's just the nature of using stainless steel for the sides instead of aluminum there's it's not like it's too Mm -hmm. heavy like wow this you know it's not like i'm telling people this is a reason not to buy the 10 but to me it, it it's heavy in the premium sense sort of like the way that the stainless steel watch is heavier than the aluminum apple watch it's not like you feel like you have a a weight on your arm but it you just feel like you have a premium watch on your wrist instead of a um you know regular watch uh yep yep exactly um just a little bit heftier and the because it's not as large as the plus the a plus may feel as you mentioned more heavy um, because if you're holding it, especially if you're holding it like from the bottom, because I think most people, when you pick up the iPhone 8 Plus, you're going to hold it from the bottom, and the the leverage or or balance of the phone is going to be top heavy, yeah. and so you're 
you have more exertion there of holding it upright yeah. than you do with uh, with the uh, X. Yeah. I, I bottom line, I think, is if you're on the fence, if there's anything, you know, if you're thinking, I think I want the iPhone 10, but I, I don't know, you you want the iPhone 10. But on the other hand, the iPhone 8 is, if you know, it's really good. <laughs> I don't know. It's so. It. I have yeah. no idea how this is going to play out. One thing we know, as we record. Uh, they've been on sale for two or three days. They're still available. If you go, you know, iPhone eight is on sale. iPhone ten is not going on sale till like late October. But if you go to buy an iPhone eight or eight plus today, you can still get it on on launch day. So you know, and that is unlike years past, where quickly, you know, sometimes within minutes, it switches from same day, you know, launch day delivery to two to three weeks or four weeks or something like that. So that's not the case. But I don't think that's surprising because I feel like. I feel like the overwhelming number of the you know the hundreds of millions of iPhones that get sold every year go to normal people who just feel like they're buying a nice iPhone and that the number of people who really really care about having the newest iPhone on the first possible day uh mm-hmm. it, it, it it's easy to because we all talk to each other on Twitter and on podcasts and we re- read their sites and and it's easy for people to overestimate just how many I like I don't think that Apple's going to have a hard time selling the iPhone 8 and 8 plus but I'm not surprised that they I'm also not surprised that they didn't sell out already because I feel like the people who are going to sell out a launch weekend thing are all going to wait for the 10 right yeah the people that have to have the newest thing the iPhone 10 is technically 3 minutes newer so <laughs> they're going to want that <laughs> Um, <laughs> the twins joke. Right. Um, yeah, I think that's right. I think that there's going to be a contingent of people that are buying this early that are really just going to gravitate towards the X because of who they are, what kind of buyer they are, what kind of user they are. Um, I, I think that there are some people going like, so I, I, I was asking, I asked a couple people while I was there. Um, Horace Didio was there. Uh, analyst uh, extraordinaire and Ben Meharan, also an analyst. And I asked them both, you know, what they thought about the the gap between the pre-orders and the, between the iPhone 8 uh, and 8 Plus and the 10 and whether it would hurt Apple or how it would affect their, you know, guidance or quarters or whatever. Uh, and Ben said that, you know, the guidance that they gave last time was so wide, so broad, that it basically indicates to him that they don't know. Yeah, they don't know exactly what the mix will be, and that the guidance was so wide as to give them latitude, so that it wasn't like, oh, they missed their guidance or whatever. It was just like very wide in terms of range, so it could be, oh, uh, we sold a ton of of tents, so the mix is going to trend later, um, and miss this this quarter, or we sold a ton of eights and it's going to hit this quarter, you know, versus next quarter. Um, but they, I asked uh, Horace the same thing, you know, what what he thought was a problem and. He said he didn't really think so. As long mm. as it got here before Christmas, both models, yeah. that it really wouldn't affect the quarter that matters, which is Q1. Um, and I, I have a, a semi-informed as well opinion or or feeling, whatever you want to call it, that they don't care. Yeah. That if you buy a 10 instead of an 8, the answer is, okay, <laughs> like what do they care? They don't care. They're fine with it either way. It's not that they're hoping to sell a ton of one or not the other. They're, like, completely fine. I'm sure they have an idea of what they want to sell or whatever. But a lot of people forget that Apple, under Tim Cook, one of the superpowers, 
is that it, it can have as little as two weeks of inventory at any given time. That is an enormous ad- tactical advantage when you're releasing serialized devices. Because yeah. you can go, hey, let's just hold off on producing. Let's produce 20% less. And that change gets into your inventory channel within two weeks. It's not months where you're eating like tons of devices like Samsung, which was like shuffling devices around at one point, trying to get them into carrier channels to like bolster their yeah. their quarter. And then the next quarter was like down in the dumps. So that's that advantage they have. Yeah, and and obviously the the shipping delay on the iPhone 10 is uh, not perfect. I'm sure that in a perfect world, it would be the pre-orders for both would have been the same day and they'd both be coming out at the end of next week. Um, right. But I got the sense talking to people at Apple that it is what it is. And this is what happens when you're, you're pedal to the metal trying to do the most that you can't, you know, that this, you know, this yeah. happens, you know, it, that if we, if we never miss a ship date, if we never miss a goal, that means we're not trying hard enough, you know? Yes. Yes, exactly. If you hit it every time, it means that you, you let off the pedal. Right. Uh, somewhere along the line. And yeah. I think, and, and like, dude, to hit a target within two weeks or four weeks, yeah. uh, from three years away, that's pretty pretty good. Well, you know, like to, we had two different projects within a gap. Well, let's you know, see bad. though, because one thing we don't know, and, and I'm sure, I, I I'm not sure, but I, given that it's late, it's obviously you mm-hmm. know uh, difficult to produce. I'm I'm pretty sure that every time Apple is late on delivering hardware, it also mm-hmm. is uh, they can't meet demand immediately. So I'm almost certain I would be shocked if this thing goes on sale on I don't know what day of the week it is if it's like midnight Pacific on a Thursday in October when mm-hmm. it goes on sale if by like the time you wake up Friday morning it's 4 to 6 weeks delivery. You know, and let's see how many they actually right. ship before the end of the calendar year, but I get right. the sense too right. that that you know, uh, you know, whatever that means for Q1 if if a lot of them don't get into even if you pre-order right away in late October, you may not get it until December or something um you know, there it, it, it's very likely to me that it might not be till January or February where where they catch up with demand, but even so, they're going to if they sell the same X number of iPhone 10s in the 12 months uh, so be it. It's still, you know, they're, they're, you know, they're just not that quarterly driven. Yes. They want to have a great holiday quarter and they want to deliver as many of them as they can. And I'm sure they're busting their asses to, to make that possible. But they're, you know, if, if they sell, you know, a hundred million of the things in 12 months, that's still a hundred million of them sold in 12 months. And that's, you know, that's fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, uh I guess the last thing, if we do talk about face ID, the thing, and I, I know I brought it up with with Federighi, uh, but we can talk about it a little bit freer. It's a little, it was a little uncomfortable to bring it up that I spoke, you know, I have friends who work at Apple, and I, you know, at, at least two of them who who have been disclosed and have been carrying iPhone 10 around for a while, who who I spoke to when I was out last week, and uh, you know. They, you know, again, and I have, you know, however much I, I often say that Apple has never lied to me. I've never been told a lie by Apple PR. Uh, when I've spoken off the record with executives like Phil Schiller or whoever, uh, I've never been lied to. 
that's you know it's part of the company it's why you know they they have integrity like that and they, and they they have their view on the long run right where mm-hmm. they're not going to tell a lie which would then make me mistrust everything they tell me you know henceforth uh have i ever been told things that i suspect are spin of course right they always try to put the best spin on things but when i talk to friends yep. who work in in the lower levels in engineering i they don't spin they're they're just you know they may they'll either not say anything or give me a look or tell me what they really think about something uh because why wouldn't they you know that's that's it's not their job to spin things uh and what mm-hmm. i've heard talking to people who've been had firsthand experience with face id is that it works great it is like the facial ident you know facial equivalent of touch id once you get used to it you can't go back and all of the people who are worried that this is going to suck and and i really think samsung in particular really pissed in the well on this one by shipping a shitty camera based face id um feature years ago uh, which could be spoofed by like a, a printout of a photo of you and which Samsung, know, knowing that it wasn't all that secure, wouldn't let you do things like authorize payments with it. You know, like it was only really used for like unlocking the phone. Uh, yeah. And they warn you that it's like a convenience feature and not a security feature right. and all this stuff. But that's not the way people absorb that. Right. You know, they just say, oh, face ID, <laughs> you know, right. facial recognition. That's right. it. All so, funnels in the same blanket. Can I vouch for it firsthand? No, because I have never once used Face ID because I couldn't set it up in the hands-on area on a, on a demo phone, and I don't have a, a iPhone at ten yet. So, you know, I can't vouch for it. But based on what I've seen and seeing people who do have it unlock, you know, use it, it it really just works. And and the analogy. Is, is I brought it up with Federighi, and I really think it's true. Is it seems to me like it's exactly like the way with the original iPhone back before, in in our naive days, where where people didn't even lock their phones, and it was just you'd wake the phone, and there was a nice little thing there, swipe to unlock, and you swiped it, and you were in. And now you just pick up your phone, and because of the what's the name of the feature where it wakes up the phone wakes up just by the accelerometer, whatever they call it. But you don't even have to hit the power button now. Your phone just, the screen turns on because it sees that you've picked it up and you just swipe up from the bottom and you're in. You don't have to think about the face ID part because you just look at it and the face ID happens and you just swipe up and you're in. It it seems great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that, that uh, moment of first unlock or whatever, that's the only thing that's really going to convince anybody. Yep. You know, it, you could say it you know, so you're blue in the face. You can ask people, and I, I asked people too, and they were very positive about their experience was over weeks or months. Um, but none of that, none of that really matters. And I, I think that they have, <laughs> if anything, is probably making you know Federighi grit his teeth over the next four weeks is that people haven't tried it and they're already yeah. assuming that it's yeah. crap. Yeah, and they're doing that because of the institutional knowledge they have from unreliable systems of other types yeah you know of this that are in the same bucket which iphone 10 do you think looks better mm. it's a hard one but i don't know i'll probably have to go with black i i just I, like the gloss because i'm a jet user you know yeah. so like a, the jet it's the same thing as the jet for me because it's all black i'm i'm gonna Glossy. Get, i'm gonna get black but i've always gotten black uh and I always will get black, but I kind there's a part of me that wishes that the black one had the same chrome sides as the white one, because I really <laughs> right. kind of I really kind of like that that pure chrome stainless steel look on the first one. And 
Yeah. It, it really And it's not chrome. It is stainless steel, but it looks like chrome. And that's right. stainless steel. So it's not a coating or anything like right. that. It's just stainless steel. Yeah, yeah. I just I'm using chrome in the terms of that it's just that sort of shiny, pure steel colored mm-hmm. steel as opposed to right. the, the black you know, on on the black one the sides are darkened somehow. It's space black or whatever space gray, whatever they're calling it. Uh they both look good and it's a very, very close call. I would I've never bought a white one. Uh, but the fact that the face on both is black at least puts it into play for me that I would maybe get the white one. But uh, boy, that really does look good. I don't have anything else on iPhone 10. I'm ready to to move on. Yep. All right. Uh, let me thank our third uh, sponsor of the show. It's our good friends at Audible. Audible has an unmatched selection of audiobooks, original audio shows, news, comedy, and more. And you can get a 30-day free trial at audible.com slash talk show just slash talk show. Uh, if you want to listen to it, Audible has it. You can listen to audiobooks from virtually every genre, anytime, anywhere. Bestsellers, things from the back catalog. Uh, and you can play Audible's audiobooks on almost any device that you have. Your phone, your tablet, your computer, most modern Kindles, and even iPods. Remember iPods? Uh, audiobooks are great for flights. They're great for long road trips. And they're great for your daily commute. If you run out of pod, I, I always say this, like you're listening to me tell you this. You obviously are a consumer of spoken audio con- content. Audible is the perfect sponsor for a podcast because they can fill. If you ever think like, man, I wish there were more podcasts. Well, guess what? Audible can fill all of that time in your commute or wherever it is where you wish you had more good stuff to listen to. Uh, it's, it's just truly great. So with Audible, Audiobooks and spoken word products, you're going to find what you're looking for at Audible. And you can get a free 30-day trial by signing up at audible.com slash talk show. That's audible.com slash talk show. And when you get that free trial, you get your first audiobook for free. And there's no stress or obligation. You can cancel your membership at any time. So you get a free book. You can't lose. So go check them out. I don't have nearly as much to say about the other products that were announced. I, I think they're interesting. Uh... If we go backwards, what would be next? I guess the watch. I mean, I got a, I got an hour and a half on the um, on the old uh, watch bands. I got <laughs> I got time. Uh, I, I guess the what was first watch? I guess so. I guess if we're gonna go backwards, it would be Apple TV 4K. Apple TV 4K uh, is Apple TV. It is faster because it has. I think it has the mm-hmm. A10 now, and uh, it supports 4K. And Apple is working with the studios to get all of the movies, you know, in iTunes at 4K. And they've already got Netflix at 4K. And <laughs> they put a rubber ring around the, the menu button on the remote. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was wondering uh, what that white thing was. So that's it. Uh, so that's how they have fixed everybody's complaints about the remote control is they put a, a white rubber ring around the menu button. So it does feel different. It's not just painted on. There is a sort of it, – Like it's it, a physical thing. Yeah, it's a physical like rubbery ring around it. Uh, and I, I guess that the theory is, is that it helps orientation, right? Like so you know what direction you're grabbing it in. But that was never really my problem. It's that it's as slippery as hell and right. like you can't really control it well. Um, I, I like just think, swiping and stuff. I, I really wish that they had made it asymmetric. I don't know how, but there should be some way that I, it is a nice looking remote. And but I'm sure there's some way that they could make it somehow like a, a wedge shape in a way or something 
that would easily and and no matter which way you pick it up would instantly let you know whether it's forward or backwards and i i feel like mm -hmm. now that you've still got to reach for the middle and figure out where menu is it's better but it's like the least they could possibly do to improve that remote yeah i don't know i think a lot of the the improvements for the remote for me could come in software like uh you know a little bit more of a, a snap to yeah um which you know i haven't played with the new tvos so maybe there is but you know it's just like i i have a lot of problems with the how fast it scrolls and how much of a snap there is because i'm never sure how far over to move my thumb and you know all of that i don't know it's just not a very good remote yeah I, I, i'm not surprised that apple did this but to me the nicest part of the announcement uh, is that if you've already bought movies in hd when those movies that you've already bought get 4k versions you'll get 4k versions of them because you've already bought them you don't have to worry about it and i feel as somebody who has personally pretty much entirely shifted from buying blu-rays to just just buying movies on itunes um just out of convenience uh it is it, i'm very thankful for that because that wouldn't be the case with the blu-rays right like i'm going to get better looking all those movies that i've bought on itunes instead of buying the blu-ray i don't have a 4k tv yet but when i do i'm going to get a better picture than i would if i were still you know getting up and physically putting <laughs> discs in a player or uh, right. or or if i had done the was something I've never done was do the whole thing where you rip them and somehow set up a media server in your house. Like, you know, ups, upscale 1080 is never going to look as good as, as 4K downloaded from streamed from iTunes. So hooray mm -hmm. to Apple for doing that. Yeah, that was easily, I feel, the best like feature of the Apple TV 4K, right? Right. Because like you, you know, 4K is, is a standard. And yes, Apple can argue, and I'm sure they will, that their, their implementation of it is like, pristine and they're doing a good job all this blah 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 but 4k is really a sort of binary choice in a media player if you're if your bit rates are strong if your fps is high you know uh, or, or your hertz is high you're looking at 4k 60 hertz um hdr in both acceptable formats dolby vision and hd10 dolby vision sort of a superset of hd10 but it yeah. you know it all all pans out to whatever your tv supports um as long as you're doing all those things right, correctly, then it is what it is. Like, great. You you made yourself uh, an, a relevant player for the next couple of years as 4K takes off, right? So right. good. Good job. Like, thank you. But the treat, the, the flourish, the reveal is that deal. You know, that yeah. whoever, Eddie Q deal, you know, yeah. where it's like, oh, this is the promise of digital. You buy a thing and it evolves with technology. You yeah. don't buy a physical copy and have to rebuy a physical copy. And I'm sure that the arguments, the arm wrestles over the with the studios, not, people not rebuying, yeah, right. with the studios, were epic. Yeah. You know, I'm sure they were, as evidenced by the fact that Disney didn't buy in. Yeah. So Disney's not currently sold right. on Who, that the, idea. Right. The king of the back catalog, really. You know. Right. Really, like, exactly. Right, like, like the, the king of re-releasing, and, yeah. and and they were resistant from home video right from the beginning. I mean, they they because mm -hmm. they had this sort of historical strategy. Like, uh, I'm revealing my age because I don't, uh, you know, this sounds ridiculous <laughs> by today's standards. But when when I was a kid, what Disney would do is uh, 
you know, like I remember going to see uh, Dumbo in the theater and mm-hmm. Dumbo was made mm-hmm. in like, I don't know, like 1940 something, I think. And, and every yeah. like 10 years, they would make a big deal and reissue one of the classics from their back catalog with all of the promotional fanfare of a new release, you know, TV commercials. And it's just like a first run release, like here, we're going to put yep. Dumbo, you know, this summer you can go see Dumbo uh, and, you know, made tons of money over. But that way, like as a kid who was born in 1973, like I grew up and saw uh, like Dumbo and Bambi. And I I vividly remember Pinocchio. Pinocchio, I freaking loved because uh, like that Mm -hmm. whole, I I, I don't know, I won't get into it, but man, oh man, Pinocchio blew me away because it was so dark, right? Like, yep. Really yep. dark. I was like, I can't believe this. Like, this is like the, it's like the sickest. This movie is sick. <laughs> it's like David David Lynch yeah. Disney fairy tale. Like that's a yeah. that movie is fucked up. I mean, yeah. It really is. <laughs> it is. And I, I remember is. my sister was like, my sister's two years younger than me, and she was like messed up. And I, but I loved it. But you, I, I saw all those movies in the theater, so they were resistant to it, and I could see why they're resistant to it now. But to me, the argument is: look, times change. You know what I mean? Like the, just just in the same way that like vhs and home home movies changed it changed the world you know in the 80s and everybody had to get on board eventually like streaming services like netflix just to say netflix but you know netflix and all of the the other netflix like services around the world have changed things Mm -hmm. where there are fewer people who buy movies now there's a lot of people who if they're going to watch something. They just go to Netflix and watch the most interesting thing that Netflix has available to them. And that's it. And the idea of paying four ninety nine to rent a movie or, you know, $15 or whatever to buy a copy of the movie so they can watch it multiple times, just never even doesn't, does not compute. So I feel like for those of us like me who are perfectly willing and happy to spend $15 to buy a copy of a movie that I know I want to watch several times, um, it, you should work to keep me in that camp as opposed to making me feel like a schmuck who has to spend another right. 15 or $20 to buy a movie I just bought two years ago. Yeah, because you're going to be making more movies and I'm going to buy those. Right. Like, And that's the best way I can say it. Like, If I have to p- spend $20 to get a 4K version of a movie that I've already purchased from iTunes for $20, I'm going to feel like a schmuck doing it. I'm either not going to do it and just watch it t- upscaled or if I start watching it upscaled and I'm annoyed, I'm going to feel like a schmuck coughing up that 20 bucks. And I feel like making me feel mm-hmm. like a schmuck is not a good way to encourage me to keep doing what I'm doing. Right. Yep. I agree. And so I, hopefully they'll come around. I mean, there's also, they've got uh, Disney, by the way, that's what I'm referring to. But the They've also got that uh, the movie streaming service, you know, yeah, that they yeah, they're yeah. launching and like they're you know so they, there's a lot of variables and I get it, but it seems like they should uh, you know should come around. But the the fact that we got so much of it right off the bat and that I'll be able to and you know you and I and everybody who buys one will be able to launch their catalog and start watching super crisp 4K stuff as long as their TV is already 4K. That's great. And I think that there is a little bit of market pressure built up in that people who have been replacing their TVs over the last couple of years, and if they did, they probably got 4K. You know, it was pretty expensive to buy a 4K TV in like, I don't know, 2014, 2013, 2014, but it hasn't really been off the charts expensive in a while now. You know, you can you can get a 4K TV starting at 350 bucks if you're prepared right. for it not to be such a great 4K TV. You know, right. um, but the, even the high end ones are still a couple of grand, not right. not ten thousand. 
You right. Know? Yeah. So. It's it's entering. Uh, it, it it to me. I know that Apple's not Apple TV debuting right now is not the first 4k box that you can connect to your tv but to me it feels like they they timed this perfectly fall 2017 is exactly the right time for apple to have a 4k apple tv like i don't think they're late to this at all because i feel like you said like Mm -hmm. the the prices on actual 4k tvs are now entering normal people's you know this is what i feel like is a reasonable amount to spend on a tv and if they came out next year i feel like it would be too late so i feel like the timing is right for sure Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't have anything else. I guess there's the whole sports angle, which is obviously, you know, that's really the only content thing other than, you know, getting movies into 4K, but the only real content uh, angle on Apple TV, or at least I guess it's more of a TVOS thing, was the sports angle, which I think is interesting as a sports fan, but we'll see. You know, it certainly is one angle. It, it It's the one thing that they talked about on stage that was about getting people to switch from watching regular cable TV to watching TV, con- normal, you know, TV network content through Apple TV instead. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, It the enhanced version of TV that everybody's been trying to sell everybody forever, you know, here, this was their concession to that or their nod to that in this keynote in this right. release cycle um it looks cool i mean I, I think that they you know they executed right from what i could see on the sports side of things like oh yeah what's the score or i could turn the scores off if i don't want to see them or you know that i could see where in the game this is so i know if i want to tune in or not those are all things that the NFL has already proven out that people want with like red zone and stuff like that. And then, and the big dish packages, um, until you get a major league to sign in, sign on to that and to sign on to the kinds of enhancements you want to deliver beyond just that little score thumbnail. You know, if you want running stats while the thing is open and all that, like some of the apps already do like MLB's app already does it. But you know, when that, once that's built into the TVOS level, um, because those, you know, MLB only builds that really nice, cool app so that you buy a subscription. Yeah. Like the, the fact that it's a nice, cool app is a byproduct, you know, well, right. thank you. Right. For right. building a good app. But in reality, they want you to subscribe, which is yeah. legit. Like that's their business. Right. Um, so if Apple could say, look, what if we could get you the same amount of subscribers, but we want to build a lot of those features directly into the OS. I don't think you're going to find too many objections there. Um, so it's just a matter of getting the sign on. And so right now, I believe the way it works is just it's apps that A, enable this hook or whatever, and then B, that have live uh, streams in them. So it's pulling from whatever apps already do live stream. There's not an additional deal being cut here to like provide live streaming directly to the Apple TV or right. any of that. It's just being pulled out of the apps and then this overlay is being put on top of it. And when you click on one of them, it takes you to that app to watch it or whatever, uh, which is fine. You know, it's it's a way to get it done now. Um, but it just, if you look at it, it just gives you that glimpse of the future that I'm, I've always been convinced is what the whole, I you know, I think of cracked it thing uh, is about, what mm. Steve said about the Apple TV, which is that it completely um, agnostic experience so 
whatever you want to watch, whenever you want to watch it, from whatever source, it's all available in one interface built by people who are interface builders, not by a network or a yeah. service or whatever. And it's just like you go like a little, you know, I want to watch Little House on the Prairie right now. And the system says, oh, well, you have access to Little House on the Prairie free. So I'm just going to start playing it for you. And if the system says, oh, you don't have a little house in the prairie, any services, none of the services that, that you sign, or signed in for on your single sign-on has a little house in the prairie, here's six options to buy it, you know? Yeah. And click on one and, you know, face ID that or touch ID that or, you know, whatever, and boom, you're on your way. And I think that that, that like, confidence level of of being able to deliver you a multitude of different content across a bunch of different networks all in one interface – you know, it's it's just so far away yeah. yet because of the deals, yeah. because of the it is, nature it is, of it. It is better than it used to be, though. I mean, and and our family, you know, we watch, we like to watch movies, the three of us, and and uh, and it is our our habit now that if we decide upon a movie, if we know if we aren't just browsing and then like, oh yeah, let's watch that one as we browse. If we have a movie in mind, we speak it to Siri on the Apple TV just to see if mm -hmm. we can already get it from Netflix or Hulu where we have right. subscriptions for free before we spend money doing it. And it, it really does work great. And it's, you know, we're, it's, it's become a habit. Um, mm -hmm. And let me take this moment. I have a bit of follow-up from a previous show. It's uh, last two episodes ago, counting the Craig Federighi show with, with uh, Jim Dalrymple. Uh, I pronounced the, the R-O-K-U competitor to Apple TV. I pronounced it Rock-U. And it's in fact pronounced Roku, and the funny part—you pronounced it Rock you? Yes, and the the funny, wow. the funny That's part great. about I love that. It. The funny That's part. That's a good name. Well, the funny part about it is, uh, uh, at least a year ago or more, I mentioned it on the show, and I called it Rock you, and I got the feedback from listeners that <laughs> I don't. And they always say like, I don't know if you're just <laughs> fucking with me or what. But in and, and right. the, the first time I did it, I did think it was called Rock you. I just I looked at it and thought it was Rock you, mm -hmm. and when I said it with Jim last week. I my my instinct was to pronounce it Roku and I thought wait but I know I pronounced it wrong I better say it the other way around and so I said <laughs> Roku thinking that I was correcting myself but in fact I had internalized yeah, yeah. the Roku pronunciation but I apologize to everyone and, and but that really was my thought process and I'm not sc screwing with you <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't have anything else on Apple TV. We're, we're going long here. We, I, we have Apple Watch to talk about. Uh, I don't yeah. have a lot to say about it. I mean, it's. I, I think it's. I think the whole cellular thing is is. I, I do, and they even said it on stage. This was our vision from the beginning. Like, and I'm not saying they shipped it too early. I'm not saying they should have waited until now. Uh, and in the big picture, I do feel I feel like Apple Watch gets such a bad rap, and and I'm not the biggest fan of Apple Watch. I didn't even take mine to California because I thought uh, I don't. I, it was I, I don't want to have the charger. I, I don't know. So I you know, and I have mechanical watches that I like and love, and so no matter what, I like to switch my watch around. And I'm, uh, but I see so many people wearing Apple Watch on a daily basis. I can't believe that it. it that people try to crack jokes about it. Cause the, the thing that there's the, the whole thing where the Boston Red Sox were caught using an Apple watch in a dugout as part of a scheme to steal signals from other teams. And, and the joke that was on Twitter with like 12,000 retweets and all sorts of likes was uh, the real story here is that somebody finally found a use for Apple watch. 
and and people want to mm-hmm. believe that and they uh, mm-hmm. but i i can't believe it cuz i know so many people who it is their fitness tracker of choice and who right you know they it's true that it was more ambitious at the start and and they they weren't sure what it was good for and they talked more about apps and going to that honeycomb app screen and launching apps and it it you know they've narrowed it down to the two obvious things that the watch is really good for which is notifications and fitness tracking and they keep making mm-hmm. both of those better and i see so many just regular people on the streets of philadelphia or san francisco or the airport who are wearing apple watch it's it's super popular and and it cook even said in the thing that it's now presumably by revenue they never say when they have this list of top watches in apple is now yeah. you know was number 2 behind rolex if if rolex was number 1 it has to be revenue because it can't be quantity because there's no way rolex is the number 1 watch by by quantity it has to be by revenue uh and however they've you know computed this they now are the number 1 watch company by revenue presumably in the world i i, I don't get I don't get the hate on Apple Watch. Like, I totally get it if you're not into it. Uh, I, like I said, I'm personally not super into it. I like it. I really love the unlock my Mac with it feature, which is why I wear it usually yeah, like on a work that's day. That's killer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the way I look at it is like, you know, I agree with you completely. Obviously, this has been done, gone over ad nauseum by a lot of smart people that, you know, they were sort of, we don't know what people are going to like, <laughs> you know, initially when they launched it. We don't know which portion of this is the killer feature. Um, and over the last two generations, they have figured it out. It's fitness. Fitness is the killer feature, period. The rest of the stuff is icing. And that icing is getting good. You know, there's some good stuff about that icing. The Honestly, the cellular edition is another piece of icing. Yeah. It's like, hey, take your workouts and take the anxiety you have of being away from your phone so that your if your kids preschool calls you don't have to st- you know you're yep. not in the middle of your run and you've got your phone flapping against your leg the whole time cuz you're just convinced that some emergency might happen boom you got it right on your wrist you can at least call and say okay cool i'm going to get in my car and i'll be right over or whatever I'll, i'm coming back and um it takes a layer of anxiety uh, of being separated from your phone out of it um which whatever you want to say about modern life, I don't care, but people are addicted to their phones and not just because they want to waste time on them, but because they connect them to the rest of the world, their families and all of that. You, you and I were talking about this last week, but I'll I'll repeat it for for everybody who wasn't in your car with us. Uh, But I realized that from thousands of years, mankind uh, survived uh, with children wherein you couldn't communicate with them if you were out of earshot, right? Like, <laughs> you'd only find out how your kid was doing right. if you were within the distance where you could hear them or they could hear you. And exactly, we survived. But guess what? How do you get them to come home? You yell. You holler. <laughs> a lot of kids did die, though, during those thousands of years. Like, I'm not a worrywart <laughs> parent. I, I don't think my wife is either. I, I think we're maybe even more relaxed than many of our peers. but we do live in a cell phone world now. And now that we have them, it is like, so my example is that, uh, Amy's not super into this stuff of, you know, uh, why would she be? But, you know, we went out to dinner before the last weekend before I flew out and, and just as part of the conversation, I just sort of gave an overview of what we expected. I mean, pretty much came up in the context of that leak from the, the OSGM and like, here's, Mm -hmm. here's what we already know. And, uh, 
when I said that I think, you know, it looks like Apple Watch is going to get cellular. And the way I think it will work is you'll just pair it with your phone and you won't have to worry about it. It's, I, I guessed how it was actually going to work, where you don't get a new phone number and people have to call your watch. You just separate yourself right. from your phone. And she said, so you mean I could go to the gym and, it, you know, and leave my phone in the locker and if the school calls, my it'll come to my wrist. And I said, yes. And she goes, well, I, I, then I need that. You know, like, and so for example, she still has an Apple Watch, original Apple Watch. And when Apple Watch 2 came out last year, she saw no reason to upgrade. Uh, and now, as soon as she heard this, she instantly was like, well, I need that. And and specifically in the context of like a week, like last week where I was going to be away for a couple of days. Uh, because ordinarily, like, you know, she, she doesn't feel so bad being uh, away from her phone, you know, where her phone's in the locker at the gym and she's upstairs because she knows that if something happens, they're going to call me too. And I'm, you know, mm. around. Uh, but like last week when I'm in California, it's it's just, you know, low level anxiety. You know, it's not like she, yep. refu you know, refuses to go to the gym if I'm in California. It's just though that in the back of her head, she's like, I'm so, you know, in the back of her head, she's worried that her phone is going off in her locker downstairs. I think it's a killer feature. I really do. Yeah, I do too. And I think that that addition of of that layer of anxiety pill or removal or whatever is going to appeal to a lot of people because as Apple said, like this is their vision, whatever, it feels logical. Like it just feels logical that this computer on your wrist should be independent. You know, the tether model is going to the dogs or by the mm. wayside or whatever analogy you want to use, the tether model is gone. Right. You know, this whole idea of like this thing has to exist in conjunction with this other thing about the only thing that I think is going to really per, per be pervasive over the next couple of years is AirPods because they, they're just, they don't know how to make them independent yet. Yeah. You know, but at some point if you could put an AirPod in and stream Apple music directly to it, like maybe the case is the cellular radio as right. long as you have the case in your pocket because you got to have that anyway to charge, you know, and then it streams to your AirPods or whatever. I don't know what the hell they're going to do, you know, but it, I could see them making them independent or wanting to. And so the watch has always felt that way. It's always felt logical to have a cellular radio in there. Now they figured out how to do it while making the watch exactly the same thickness and then a the little bump on the back, like. A couple of millimeters or a millimeter bigger or something less. I, I thought that you he know, said just a tiny bit bigger. I, I could I'd have to rewatch it. I could swear that what he said was that it's two tenths of one millimeter thicker. I think that's right. what he said. I, I say a couple of millimeters like but yeah, it was not that. It was smaller than and, a and, and if that's yeah. literally what Jeff Williams said, again, hats off to Apple for having the integrity of actually admitting it publicly. You know, because I, I think two tenths of one millimeter you could legitimately get away with it's the exact same size. Mm -hmm. Whereas two but then, millimeters, you, know, you get the guy. You get the guy with this caliper up, right? <laughs> Starting a class action lawsuit. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, uh, and you know, let's acknowledge it. It's it, it's reasonably priced, but it isn't cheap. Like it seems like most of the carriers are going to charge you ten dollars a month for the privilege yes. of using it. So that is $120 a year that you're just, you know, in addition to the 400 bucks you pay for the watch in the first place, um, you know, it, it, that is in some ways it makes it a premium product, but uh, I thought, you know, I'm not surprised by that at all. I thought no way in hell is any carrier going to let you do this for free. And it seems to me like in my experience with AT&T and, and Verizon, Anytime you want to add a quote unquote add a device to a plan, it's ten bucks. 
Yeah. So it is what it is, but uh, I, yep. I, am I going to get one? I don't know. Cause I don't wear it every day. I don't know. But Amy was a sure thing. A hundred percent. I'm on, you know, she's on board. Uh, and I think I probably mm-hmm. will too. Uh, what about the red dot? <laughs> I don't, I, I get it, but I don't get it. I wish it wasn't <laughs> there. And I think it's going to be silly like, with some bands. I just think it's not a great choice to be honest like it's there to differentiate the cellular watch but in my opinion the cellular watch is differentiated by the fact that it's cellular i I don't know what their vision is that people have multiple watches and they want to make sure to grab the cellular one i don't know i i don't get it i i did notice in person that it it isn't i mean it's obviously red if you're looking for it but it doesn't seem to jump out as much as it does in some of their photos but exactly for the reason that you just said like Black is a neutral color. It's, you know, it's arguably the neutral color. Uh, And so, like, having black on that side of the crown goes with every strap you could possibly, or and or watch face that you choose, whereas red is a very, uh, I don't know, it doesn't go with everything. I don't hate it. It's not, it certainly wouldn't keep me from buying the watch, but I do find it a little curious. Yeah, I mean, like, red goes with a, a gray band or a black band, and you can even say it might go with, like, a pink band, but it doesn't go with an orange band. Right, <laughs> right. Know? Orange is a perfect example, right? It's just right. It, it's just a little weird. I don't know. Uh, so Tim Cook's been wearing, and, and I've seen just a handful of other Apple execs, but Cook's is the one who's conspicuous because it's been photographed. He's been photographed with a stainless steel Apple Watch with a red thing on the crown for, your like, I don't know, like a year and a half, like from even before series two. Uh, And it's, you know, other people have noticed this. Like, do you think he's been wearing a prototype cellular watch for in 18 months? Or do you think red just used to mean special? Because the, the original edition gold ones had red, red there too. I think it was just something special. I don't think he had a prototype cellular one. I think it's possible, but I feel like, I feel like there's the engineering couldn't have been there back then, even at a prototype level. I think it's a little far out. Yeah. Just my gut. That's what I'm, yeah. just a gut feeling. Yeah. Uh, anything else on Apple Watch? I will say this: there, there, there was a a black, the older, the the first generation of the nylon, their nylon watch straps, um, woven nylon. There was a black one that I which is my favorite Apple Watch strap ever. Both, I just like the way it looks, and I also find it extremely comfortable in all weather and situations. Uh, and in fact, I've worn it so much that it's it's worn a little bit. Like, it doesn't look bad, but it's obviously showing a little bit of wear. Uh, and I've been thinking in the back of my head, I should buy another one of those just to have it because I think that the, all of these type of straps, you know, are, are limited edition. Uh, and lo and yeah, behold... Yeah, they come and go. Yeah, lo and behold, that one's gone. Uh, but I did find one the other day on BestBuy.com was still selling them, so I quick ordered one. Uh, but I think it's I think that they're totally I think that that must be if you're like a designer I, I would I think that must be such a fun team to work on because I feel like they are having so much fun doing like a variety uh, of watch straps that change every six months, uh, like and and really running the gamut from playful to uh, subtle too elegant yeah well the the velcro the new velcro ones they showed off there um you know it's just it's 
it just makes sense that if Apple's going to do a Velcro watch, the entire band's Velcro. Right. Like the entire <laughs> band is the loop. Right. The, the the Velcro hooks to, you know, the loop material. Like it's not a patch. Almost every Velcro watch, it's there's a patch of right. contact material that's the loops. And then you have the Velcro hook material right. on the other side. And the Apple way is to go like, nope, we're going to make the entire thing loop. Yep. So you could attach it anywhere you want. And they know most of the band's not going to be used. Right. But at the same time, it gives them infinite adjustability and and uh, continuity of look. Yeah. You know, the whole thing looks the same. So, I, and I'm, from what I felt there, it's kind of fuzzy. You yeah. Know, yeah, it feels very nice. Uh, I'm not a Velcro kind of guy, but I have to say that's it's the nicest Velcro I've ever seen in my life by far. It's the first time I've ever seen <laughs> Velcro and thought, this is really nice Velcro. <laughs> In fact, I even wonder, is Velcro like a trademark, like Kleenex? I wonder if it even... Well, that's a good question. I don't know. I wonder if it technically is Velcro with a trademark or whether it's like a Velcro-like, you know, scratchy side on one thing right. and soft side on the other. Yeah, I mean, it is definitely a registered trademark, Velcro. So yeah. I, don't, I think I you don't have know. to use like hook and loop fastener or something. Other. Yeah. All right. Well, I, I'm about at the end of my list. There was the one last thing in the keynote. Oh, I guess we could talk about the opening Steve Jobs tribute if we're going to go backwards. I mean, and there's the Angela sure. Arns thing. The Angela Arns thing was interesting. I, I, I don't know what else to say about it, though. I mean, it's like, you know, here's their new flagship stores. They are architecturally fantastic. They are obviously of the same architectural design language as the uh, Steve Jobs theater itself and the new campus. You know, it's it's obviously one cohesive architectural language that they're using around the world, including at their campus. Uh, but I, I, you know, I don't know what else to say other than that. Yeah. I mean, I think there's some controversy over calling it town halls or whatever, or, or town squares, cities, town, town squares. There you go. Yeah. And, and I mean, I, I'm not the right person to, to um, debate, you know, civic responsibility and, you know, adoption of those things, co-option, co-option, of those things by corporations, yeah. um, I get the arguments. I don't. It didn't strike me as particularly egregious, but there, you know, some people are getting all all mad about it. But I think that they're already. If you go to like the one in San Francisco that is already converted over uh, to that new model of that town square model or whatever, where it has like indoor out has the has the the patio area. Um, and the big doors that open so people can walk through it and all that stuff. Like, I get it. They're co-opting something that is theoretically public space, uh, but it is private property and it is a corporate, you know, drive. They're trying to sell products and all that stuff. But I think they did a pretty decent lob job, excuse me, uh, of making those things feel like they had a variety to them that didn't exist in Apple stores before. Yeah. I think it did at one point, like when a lot of the stores had theaters and stuff like that. Right. You felt like there was always something going on. You could go there and see. But I think it hasn't felt like that in a while. Um, and I think that you're you're now kind of seeing them try to return to that a little bit and yeah. bring back the fact that like, hey, you've got other things to do here than just buy stuff. I don't get the controversy over it. I, I feel like, you know, it doesn't matter which company it is, but if you have a retail space, you can either have it be like you're either – make it feel like you're either in here to buy something or you can either come here to buy something or you can be on our property for a free reason, you know, to see a show or to have a class or just to hang out and sit on a bench and feel welcome doing it. So 
I don't see how that that latter is worse than the former, right? Like, it, how is that not better? Right. And and secondarily, I don't think that it was implied in any way that they're going around and telling you know cities around the world like scratch your you know get rid of your public parks. We'll take care <laughs> right, of it. Exactly. You know, they're not trying to replace public parks. You know, they're saying that in addition to the public parks that these cities already have, we're going to have a space that's welcome to the, you know, people. I don't get it. So, uh, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I thought it was really great to see her on the stage, regardless. Yes. Um, it did really, answer. Really, really nice to see her out there. Yeah, that was, it was the answer to the longstanding question of when when is Angela Arns going to be on stage at an event? Uh, a cynical part of my mind says that maybe, you know, there's a if if not for Angela Arntz, I don't think there would have been any women from Apple on stage at that event, unless I'm forgetting mm-hmm. somebody who did a demo. But I don't think so, because it was truly the only the only. But it wasn't like there was a, a cavalcade of men either. It was really just Cook, Schiller, Federighi, Q, and Jeff Williams. Uh, and and you know, as I said, as I've said many times, they don't pick people to do the segments that the people who come out for these segments are the people who are in charge of them, you know? And so Angela Arntz isn't going to be on stage until they decide to speak about retail on stage. And lo and behold, what she was there to talk about was retail, but she was super right. great. That's, that's the thing. People have been itching to see her on stage because they've seen her speak in public places on videos and stuff before. And she's obviously a very dynamic, engaging personality. And so, you know, it, it, capability was obviously there and i think the people in the fashion world who knew her before who, yeah. you know as the ceo of burberry and then also the people who are paid to sort of think about these things and know these things know that you know she was the ceo of a major fashion corporation and and effectively took a what you would might consider a downgrade in position but right. certainly an upgraded outsized impact and influence and right. and size of job i think size of job wise bigger job you know, yep. hands down. Yeah. But the it was good to see her out there because I think that she's just like an enormously capable executive and has been doing a lot and getting her to present her work yeah. or getting you know, getting to see her present her work is always a treat. It's always nice to see people, as you said, who have done the work and who have been in the trenches working on a product, you know, present that product. And I think she it showed that she was she had done a bunch of presentations around the world. I've been at a couple of, of I think it's one of them. She did local presentations like yes. at the stores yeah. themselves, um, and she's been doing some of that. But we hadn't seen her on the stage proper, and I think she, you know, she felt very comfortable up there, and yep. obviously, you know, was presenting things she had worked on closely. Yep. I found this interesting link. Uh, this fashion blog called the Fashion Law had written about uh, her out there. And they were, you know, obviously saying, you know, she she's uh, an executive who's presenting her work and all that went really well. But uh, they they pulled some like fashion marketplace or whatever. And this one fashion marketplace said that, you know, during and for like two hours after the time she was on stage, users searched for and viewed that pale pink Burberry <laughs> trench coat that she was wearing, the lace one, every 12 seconds. <laughs> and... And like searches on the platform on this list right. platform was for the terms lace, pink, and trench coat grew by eight hundred and thirty percent. That's absolutely <laughs> so. It's amazing. like it's not that she's just out there giving this presentation. She's out there like I'm a fashionable, right. trend-setting, you know, woman who is also an executive at this company, and I'm not going to come out here and like 
you know, try to untuck my shirt or whatever. Right. Like I'm gonna dress how I dress, you know. I'm gonna dress how I how what how I feel comfortable. And I think there was some nice resonance there with people. <laughs> Can I, I now's as good a time as ever to bring it up? But I find it so funny personally because you know, uh, uh, those of you who are longtime followers of me on Twitter, I had a habit for years of when I would go in the keynote and when speakers would come out, I would note who had worn their shirts tucked and untucked. Uh, and keep a tally for each keynote. And I gave it up uh, at some point around two years ago and because I realized it was completely biased towards men because it doesn't, it, you know, and I've, you know, it, it's just one of the ways, you know, one of the ways that I'm trying to be more cognizant of that. I, and it doesn't seem fair to, to keep track of it. I'll only keep track of it for men and not women and it's different. So I just don't do it anymore. But I used to. Uh, here in Philadelphia, we have a nice Apple store on Walnut Street, and right next door to it was an American Apparel. Well, American Apparel went bankrupt and closed all their retail stores. Um, the store that took over that space, literally right next to the Apple store, untuck it. Wait, wait, let me guess. I was just going to say, it's untuck <laughs> so, it, huh? <laughs> I'm so sorry. I spoiled it for you. Untuck it. I will, put okay. a, I will put a photo in the in the show notes. I will link to a photo of the untuck it next to the Apple store, which I, I it amuses me to no end. Uh, so sorry I spoiled that. That's great. There's one in Soho very near the Apple store too. Yeah. And I always see it and laugh when I walk For those of you who don't know, Untucked is a store that uh, the entire point of the store is that they sell shirts that are meant to be worn untucked, uh, which which is what it is. (laughs) But anyway, I find it so funny that they open next to the Apple store. Yeah, Angela uh, Arntz did great on stage and I'm sure it won't be the last time that that we see her. Yeah. and then the opening, last but not least, going backwards, would be the opening Steve Jobs tribute, which uh, I don't know. I, I, I don't even know what to say about it, other than I thought it was perfect. I thought that the 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 little passage that we heard of Steve Jobs himself was absolutely fantastic. I I, I I've been writing about Apple ever since I started Daring Fireball, and. I, it it so summarizes what it is that I you know it 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 puts it he put his finger on what Apple is and why they do what they do and why do they go to the extraordinary lengths that they go to and do the unnecessary you know why why are the handrails cut out in the theater that they're going to use twice a year for keynotes carved out of stone you know mm-hmm. why do they go to these lengths to do things that they don't need to do and it's you know to show their appreciation for fellow humans who they're never going to meet, never going to shake. Their, I, I don't want to go out. Just, right. It's just so perfect to me. And I never heard it before. Uh, I asked. From what I understand, what I was told was, oh, yeah, did, well, you asked. Well, what, did, what, you what did you hear? You tell me. Well, I heard that it was from an internal company meeting. Right. And that it was not, it was recorded as an internal company meeting. It had never been heard outside of the company anywhere. And I don't even think that it had been replayed maybe. You know, since then, or I didn't yeah. get that vibe that it was like, oh, we listen to it all the time. I think they discovered it, maybe uncovered it, or or somebody remembered it because yeah. there are obviously many people who worked with them for years at Apple that are still there. Um, but it was an internal meeting, speaking to employees off the cuff, unprepared. This was not a speech he was giving, right? You know, or or something where it was prepared externally to like talk to press or talk to. Um, you know, even a graduating class or any of that jazz. Right. It, this was just an internal meeting talking to employees about why they did what they did. I have it. That's, I was told the exact same thing. <laughs> so as usual, I think Apple actually had a prepared answer ready 
for <laughs> probably. Uh, I have a theory. Now, this I have no little birdie. I was told only what you were told, but my theory is maybe that was from one of those top 100 meetings. You know, that there's mm. that, uh, Steve mm. Jobs started a tradition where once a year, I think around May, uh, Apple holds a offsite like over a weekend for what they call the, it's like the top 100 and it's executives and managers. And it's, you know, a hundred people from within the company who are considered like, here's the best, you know, here's, here's our top 100 leaders within the company. And we're going to, and they go and they review product plans for the next year and uh, who knows what else, but it's obvious, shockingly, very secret. <laughs> uh, <laughs> obviously, you know, politically inside the company, it's a sign that you are on, if, if, you know, you've get invited for the first time. It's you know obviously a sign that you're on the fast track to to right. management. I have it. That's my theory. It's my theory. It was from one of those, perhaps the last one that he uh, attended. Maybe I don't know. Yeah, uh, but it was very yeah, very touching. It sounds reasonable as anything. Yeah, because yeah. uh, that's the other. The only other thing I was told was that yeah, it was internal meeting, never before public. And I even the other thing I was told, maybe you were told the same thing. This would prove that they had it prepared. Was that most even most Apple employees hadn't heard that before. Mm. And the mm -hmm. even most Apple employees hadn't heard it before was what made me wonder if maybe it was that top one hundred meeting. Right, right. But yeah. anyway, it was yeah, great. Yeah. And then I thought Tim's uh, Tim Cook's remarks were incredibly touching. I, I, and you know, I, I I don't know him personally. I mean, I've spoken to him very briefly a few times. Uh, but you know, I, I I don't think he's hard to read. I, and and you know, I, I I think most people would agree that even just from his public appearances, he's he's not really the sort of guy to tear up easily. You know, I, I think he's a pretty right uh, 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 hard baked uh, individual at least in public and i think that the emotion that he showed while speaking about steve was uh, truly profound it, it you know it, it, I, I watered up we were you and i were sitting next to each other i don't know i watered up i mean i i didn't have tears running down my face but but they were there they were like mm -hmm. <laughs> they were at the starting line <laughs> yeah i i you got to say I mean, you got to think that you know, sharing something like that um, with the public for the first time, you know, there's emotions attached to that. There's emotion attached to the theater that has his name on it. You know, all of this stuff. Some of it was mentioned by them, but you just got to think, hey, like on a personal level, these are still people. They still worked with one another. They still built relationships with each other. You know, Steve with his coworkers and his employees, and they had a life, you know, lifetime shaking relationships with these people and i think that a lot of times people get hyper cynical about this because like ah it's a show and it's pomp and circumstance and all of this stuff and it's like yeah i get it but it's really only the most hard-bitten and cynical of people that can really manipulate people on that level and if you do that it'll be evident in the other ways that you do business and the other ways that you conduct yourself and so for me it felt genuine you know, yeah. it felt straightforward. It felt exactly as as it was. You know, people in that in that auditorium, many of them, owed especially the senior people, uh, owe their careers and lives and the ability that they have to impact millions of people to Steve and just to be like, hey, here's a tribute to you. You know, hell, if you're gonna cry at the end of Fast and the Furious when <laughs> you know, <laughs> Vin Diesel drives on one road and. And and uh, you know Paul drives down the other, you know why don't you laugh or why don't you cry when you ha you got a um 
you know, person that you really, really felt love for yeah. in that filial, you know, employee way or heck, even friendship way. Um, makes sense to me. Yeah. I thought it was really nicely done. You could feel it. Yeah, you could feel it in the uh, in the auditorium. Yeah. Uh, well, that's it for me. I mean, we were three hours into this <laughs> for a two hour <laughs> two hour keynote. So just just go ahead and cut cut down to an hour and a half, and we'll be yeah. fine. <laughs> uh, you've got a big week coming up. By the time this airs, you will be knee deep in uh, a TechCrunch Disrupt event taking yes. place next week, and, yes. and among your uh, featured people on stage is going to be Laureen Powell Jobs. Yes, that's correct. Um, she'll be on stage uh, talking about various uh, efforts to do with uh, students and technology, involving students in tech early and making sure that the pipelines are appropriate. Um, she'll be, she's been an outspoken advocate of DACA, obviously, uh, of the Dreamers Act mm -hmm. uh, and, and maintaining that and, and keeping those opportunities open for immigrants. Uh, and then we also have uh, Lisa Jackson. I'll be talking with Lisa Jackson, um, Apple's head of an environment and social issues. Former, uh, former guest on the talk show. On stuff. That's right. That's right. You've had her yeah. before as well. What should I? What should I? How should I prepare? Is she a hard subject. Uh, well, be ready. She's sharp. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's my impression so far. I think yeah. I need to be on my toes. So. Do you know what? It, Definitely going to get into this week. I think that when she was on the talk show, it was evidence of the same thing I said about Federighi, which is that she clearly understands everything in her domain because she can explain it to someone like me who doesn't know jack squat about this stuff like so thoroughly mm -hmm. like i don't know her explanation for like the environmental design of the new uh main building at the headquarters was just uh it was just like wow it's like i can't believe you're not an architect uh so anyway mm -hmm. that's great mm -hmm. so i'll bet uh, and you guys will you guys publish videos of those things right Yep, yeah, be so, so those will be videos mm -hmm. that I'm – those are two right there that I'm sure listeners of this show will be interested in. So break a leg on the show. Can't, can't wait to see those videos. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me on. And everybody can follow you on Twitter uh, at, at Panzer, P-A-N-Z-E-R. Uh, you got it. All right. See you soon. <laughs>